wish I had a pilot podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler at some travel with portable speakers playing bars scans. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help was like, it's like, I wish, I wish, and every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we dive in, it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bee. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. That way I might hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. Wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. Hello, cats and kittens. And welcome to another episode of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray. And today the topic is Kanye, Kyrie, anti-blackness, anti-Semitism, and the odd appeal of the Hebrew israelite movement also there's been some things happening i hear there's some trump nfts (laughs) there's all kind of shenanigans afoot on the internet and you are well aware of the fact that we can talk about whatever is on your minds wherever the conversation takes us this is your space i'm going to try to jump around today and get to some people who have had unluckiness in the queue But not before calling on Neo, because let me tell you, this person has been extremely persistent across all of social media and has been in every chat, (laughs) every comment section, every Twitter thread. And I'm I'm very eager to hear what he has on offer. The expectations are high, Neo. Let's get into it. What's on your mind tonight? Let's go, Bree. You heard me. By the way, the song of the week next week is Marlena Shaw's I Wish I Knew. What do you mean the song of the week? I mean, that should be your song of the week next week. That's what I'm saying. You mean my <laughs> outro song? Uh, whatever you want it to be, if you hear it and you like it. Well, it can be the outro song tonight, depending on how All this right. comment goes. Neil. <laughs> All right. What's in your mind? All right. Well, I'll keep it brief. Um, let's see. Uh, you can call me John, by the way. Um, okay. I'm a, I'm a fan from a bit back. Like, uh. Last time we spoke was maybe a year ago uh, around force the vote stuff on a call in. Um, okay. And what was it? Um, and the interview with Ralph the other day really got me excited uh, specifically for what I was trying to reach out to you about. Um, it basically goes to the notion of uh, us on the left finally finding a way to move forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, going to shoot the shot here. Um, you're getting the exclusive first because the Vanguard guys haven't gotten around to doing a live react yet. So uh 
let's see. Um, I basically, I started um, a year ago on a journey to start this YouTube channel, uh, Neo's Algorithm. And uh, my comment, uh, I sent you a super chat a little bit back when we were talking about something Bernie 2024 related. Um, uh, my comment back then was about Bernie's lack of engagement with lefty independent media channels being rather concerning and mm -hmm. disappointing, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, I'm here today because after the, a long year, I've launched that channel. And um, I'm a full-time architectural designer, so it, it took me a little while because <laughs> working a nine-to-five and all, but what, do you, what can you do? So um, I'm curious to see if you think your audience would be interested in what I'm proposing, which is basically an evolution of the ideas behind Force the Vote called Force the Primary 2024. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, that's just because viewers last time really wanted to know how do we start to mobilize in a direction, since the left is obviously pretty much in stasis right now. Um, can I, can I continue through the latter half of this or like, have I intrigued you a bit? <laughs> sure. What's, I was looking for the, the YouTube link. Oh yeah. You can find it at Neo's algorithm. Um, and then you can find the YouTube videos force the primary 2024. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Cool. Um, great. So, so what I'm offering basically is the chance for us to build a user viewer driven YouTube channel, as opposed to a Slack, like someone was kindly suggesting the other day. Um, and it serves a few main purposes. Basically, I want to build a collaborative online petition of people who want to see Joe Biden and Kamala Harris unseated as the Democratic nominees in 2024. And I want to galvanize our group behind a candidate and a policy agenda. If Bernie doesn't come out of his cave saying he has an interest in running or working with us. And um, then I want to move forward if we really start to take off and complete the final steps we would need to take to get it to become a reality, which would be getting our candidate on the actual primary ballot and registering our viewers to vote in their state's Democratic primaries to unseat Joe. John, who um, do you have in mind as a candidate? Right now, it's kind of ambiguous because you, you know how that conversation goes. Like, we all would really like somebody to be a kind of white knight and come out and save us all and announce a candidacy against these two that's actually viable. But, you know, it's kind of like crickets, <laughs> right? And there's not really... Mm -hmm anybody that is appetizing to the left because, you know, the squad kind of defunct. Rokana, he's cool for coming out and all, but I don't know if he's really going to get the nerve to, to announce an open primary challenge against Joe and Kamala. And um, yeah, so you kind of go down the list and nobody really sounds so appetizing. And that's why I'd like to make it a, more of a discussion. Um, I've been going around to my various live chats like you saw <laughs> and gathering my comrades from the various live chats over the last couple of years during like the Biden dystopia. And um, what I'm hoping is that I can make it more of a conversation who that nominee should be. And um, if people really believe in the idea and we gain traction, then that'll be the kind of sea change out there. Like um, Ralph was talking about just how do you really make the establishment afraid? Well, you get a hundred people in a room or a thousand people. And you start to build that group and then they really, people really start to pay attention. And so um, let me think here. So, yeah, um, basically, that's kind of the, the bulk of the idea is if enough people really believed in um, a strong idea and we got together in our rather divisive communities around a common ideal, which is just that Joe should go, <laughs> um, I think we could maybe move forward. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't disagree, Neo. You know, I've been having you know, these conversations on the podcast for months now, asking if anybody has any interest in this, and if there is a single candidate that anyone can even hypothetically put their minds on, 
And the answer seems to be no. But look, you've put it to the channel, and let's see what the people think. I think it's a wasted opportunity not to try to primary Joe Biden. I but agree. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm a little battle weary of being told that I'm a sellout for even op- opening the floor to this conversation. So let's let's put it to oh, you guys in the okay. queue. If you guys have <laughs> thoughts and feelings about who you think would be good, let's hear them. Can I, can I want can you sh- throw one cherry on top at the end real quick? Sure. Really quickly, though. I did want to say just because it's pretty obvious that you're eligible, apparently, the other day being 37. And I can't believe you're 37, by the way. But uh if you would like to take a break from podcasting if this really takes off we we might consider somebody as awesome as you brie so anyways i'll leave it at that. I, mean, I don't i don't know that running for president is a break of any kind from anything except for maybe right. like a federal penitentiary <laughs> but I, I appreciate the vote of confidence thank you neil, neil i'm interested you. to hear what people have to say and i've uh i've kept the tab open with your youtube channel in it and i look forward to watching the video after we wrap. Oh. That is awesome. Thank you so much for listening. That really is what makes you the best is that, you know, you hear everybody out. You're so cool for that. So, yeah, no worries. Thank you for night. calling in and, you know, hashtag force the vote always and forever. I'll never shut up about it. <laughs> let's go. All right. Let's go. All right. Keep the faith. You. All right. Let's go to TZ. That seems like a newish name. What's on your mind, TZ? Oh, did I, did I, uh, Catch TZ off guard. All right, TZ, if you get back into the queue, I'll come for you later. Let's go back up front to Chris Brown. What's on your mind tonight, Chris? Hey, what's up? I'm good. I'm now. I'm also like observing this craziness that's happening online, where Elon Musk is apparently uh, suspending every account that reports on his perma ban of the Elon Jet account. What? Oh have my god! This? I have not. Um. Hold on, I'm about to. I'm on Twitter right now. Just a flip. So you know what's been happening with the Elon Jets account? We covered this this morning on Rising. If you want a more fulsome Mm -hmm. uh, conversation, but there's this account that basically reported on the publicly available flight information for Elon Musk's private jet. He's been doing this for a number of celebrities. He's actually a fan of Elon Musk. Uh, Some time ago, Elon Musk wanted to pay him five hundred dollars to take it down. He said either let's have dinner, I think, or pay me five thousand dollars. And Elon Musk. Refused. He decided instead to spend forty-four billion dollars on Twitter, apparently, so he could just suspend the guy. <laughs> and the excuse that he's giving, he gave, was that his kids were uh, stalked in a car, which is like scary, extremely. But that yeah. is not the same thing as your publicly available First Amendment protected uh, airline data uh, being disseminated. It, it's just, it's just not the same. It has nothing to do. Those are two separate incidents, and now. Anyone who's covering that story, the suspension of Elon Jets, including uh, Donnie O'Sullivan from CNN, Aaron Rupar, Washington Post, Drew Harwell, uh, Matt Bender has gone down. There's a whole list of people who have been suspended, including people who, like, have tweeted about the suspensions and then themselves have become suspended. It's the Red Wedding out here, guys. Oh, God. So you guys might be next because you guys did cover it. Maybe they're going to cancel Rising. LOL. Those kind of that would be kind of. He'll, he'll have to buy. He'll have to buy YouTube too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely <laughs> have to do that. So I wonder if, like, um, when it comes to Elon, are people like obviously you know most of the 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 Elon stands or the people who really thought he was coming to save Twitter? I think it's more than enough kind of like information that we have now that that was a complete crock of shit. And I wonder if they're going to ever like admit that or just admit exactly what it is. You guys don't really care about free speech, which you guys are 
liking and what you guys are entertaining is the idea that the tables can now be reversed. And this is more about revenge than it actually ever was about free speech. You guys personally felt prosecuted of the fact that you guys, well, obviously through the Twitter files and everything, that there was a clearly serious bias towards right wing content and everything like that. And Elon is now, I guess, fighting back and then is going doing the exact same things to left or I guess centrist or independent kind of media. Mm -hmm. And you guys are cool with that. So you guys don't really never really gave a shit about the free speech part. You just kind of, it's like, Oh, he's pissing libs off. And you know, Republicans and right wing people love when the libs are just pissed off. Yeah. So when Robbie and I were talking about that this morning, you know, he said something and I was like, well, so this is just about revenge. You know, he, he, he did the kind of, well, mm-hmm. this is what happened when the last, you know, management was in charge. And I said, so is this about free speech or is this about revenge? And he basically <laughs> kind of conceded, yeah, this is about revenge. And I'm like, okay, then yeah. you don't get to walk around on your high horse talking about free speech principles. Exactly. Just admit that you're authoritarian and you want to go around <laughs> exerting your will on everybody. By the way, I don't need the admission. You proved it a thousand times over already when you – on, on a completely unprincipled basis. Now, this is not a defense of any of these people, but mm-hmm. on a completely unprincipled basis, banned Alex Jones because the bad thing he did was against children and you tragically lost a child. So I guess that matters to you, but I guess your trans kids don't matter to you. So the yep. trans, you know, the attacks on trans people don't like, it's just a completely random personalized judgment. That's not based on anything that's predictable or consistent. Yeah. And then, this stuff today where apparently it looks like the real reason that people are getting suspended is for sharing, get this, an on-the-record statement from LAPD about Elon Musk in which they say that their threat management unit is aware of the situation and tweet by Elon Musk and is in contact with his representatives, the security team. No crime reports have been filed yet. So I think he's he wants everybody to stop tweeting about that because the fact of this incident happening with his kids, this alleged incident, mm-hmm. is the is the – fulcrum for him justifying all of these suspensions and bans and he's like oh i'm not being inconsistent this is about my children if the event didn't actually happen which is potentially the implication of the lapd mm-hmm. tweet then he's fully showing his entire behind yeah and i think um kind of that dave Chappelle show i think you kind of got a like a, a kind of like um like a a view into this guy like um clearly you know like when he really got confronted with the idea that nobody liked him like of course he tried to make that excuse of oh it's just a bunch of crazy leftists who booed me but it was like no this is a dave Chappelle show they're there for the really crappy jokes or the really inconsiderable jokes and everything they that's kind of what they expect so when you come out here you know that's 50 50 so you you're really rattling a lot of cages and he seems like he's like one of them weird awkward guys who just like now, since he's like really in the like spotlight, and he got, I think he got kind of got his like his first taste into what the actual public actually yeah, people, the real not world. people, yeah, yeah, the real world. We, it's like, we can't just ban people who don't like you, exactly. And you can't just shut up a booing crowd, you can't just go up, oh, well, you guys are banned. And yeah, it seems like it's hitting them a little bit. And you know, I mean, regardless, I mean, that whole free thing, I mean, I never really bought that. I don't believe billionaires buy things just for the idea of principle, they right. buy it for whatever reason. And I think for him, maybe it's it's an idea of power. I think he looked at it maybe nice through the future because obviously just be- uh, what what uh, paper does Jeff Bezos own? The Washington Post. Washington Post. So like all these guys are kind of buying their like outlets and everything. And I think he probably was like, hey, 
wouldn't it be a great idea if I own something that's like on the internet and something like that? And then IE Twitter, which, you know, maybe he'll be able to turn that around and maybe it'll make sense or not. I actually think he's going to, uh, well, actually, no, I don't think he could sell that because he paid a lot of money for it. So I don't even think there'd be enough. No, he's offer. just selling the furniture at headquarters <laughs> and not paying rent for the real estate. Yeah, that's. Which again, um, you know, you know, I love my co-host, but weird. goodness gracious. You just there's no justifying this. I'm sorry, like a lot of conservatives. Robbie tries to really justify. It it is so funny watching Robbie argue things because, like, he literally says that this is not right, but then he tries to argue it, and then he tries, then he like backtracks and kind of like fumbles himself a lot because he's trying to argue a position he doesn't. He knows is full of shit. We all have to steal man our roles, I guess. But at the end of the day, like the man bought a company and has a fire sale. He's like, well, he he fired all these employees, so maybe he doesn't need all these chairs anymore. I'm like, <laughs> come, on. come on, dude. Come like, on. <laughs> really? That's why he's selling if, the furniture? If you fire someone, you still have to pay rent. Like, if I am sharing, splitting rent with a boyfriend and mm-hmm. I fire him, <laughs> that was a good I point. still have to pay rent. Yeah. I don't get yeah. to be like to my landlord, oh, my boyfriend moved out, so you're only getting half this month. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Honest, honestly, that was like really like a good point because it's like, are you really sitting here arguing that a billionaire paying his rent is, but you know, they do that. And you made this kind of point when it comes to like rich people, where it's like when they fuck over or they find ways to get over on people, it's like smart business and they're celebrating. Exactly. But when there's someone in the chat right now, legends in the chat right now talking about, well, they don't need the building, sir. If you don't need the (laughs) building, get out of your lease and pay what you owe. That's not an excuse for not paying your rent. And tell everybody, yeah. And tell everybody (laughs) to work. And it's like I said, when a poor, like, just bring it back to poor people. Like if a poor person takes advantage of something and then he's able to get like a lobster dinner or something like that, he's a fucking moocher though. But when you're rich, it's, Oh, well, you know, this this is just good business. This is just smart business. Yeah. I wouldn't pay my rent. Yeah. Come on. It's beyond absurd. Look, here's the thing. I'm not someone who has like some weird, like I don't have like an ideological commitment to hating Elon Musk. I I think that there's nothing. I personally don't find anything to be like impressive about him personally. Yeah. but yeah, like, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I'm not mad at it. I don't. I'm not mad at people who like Teslas. I'm not mad at people who think that going to space is cool or whatever tech is cool. Like, mm-hmm. that doesn't bother me, you know. But like, you can't ignore what's in front of your eyes. At a certain point, it just becomes ridiculous. I would have loved if Elon bought Twitter and improved a lot of things that were legitimately wrong on the app, and I would have celebrated it. He has every mm-hmm. opportunity in the world to do that. Instead, he's acting like the most immature man child that's ever existed. It's embarrassing. Yeah, like he's like, uh, yeah, he's really acting like he's kind of like showing himself a little bit. And I guess showing his hand like, yeah, he's not cool. Yeah, he is weird and really pale and weird looking. And he clearly doesn't know how to like handle anything as far as like pressure, as far as like actual like pressure and like things like that. And it's like, I just think he's. I just take him for what he is. He's a he's a billionaire, and this is what billionaires do. You know, they it, it never was about anything outside of just power and control, and that's kind of ultimately what it is. So, kind of sucks, but I mean, hopefully, maybe maybe there's still hope down the line. I know Robbie's giving him like a year and a half or two or three years before he says any, before he finally comes out and just admit that that was a whole crock of shit, though. But it's like, um, but that's the <laughs> thing. You don't have to like. I'm not sitting here saying Elon Musk will never succeed. Yeah. Like, like you can call what's happening right now and projecting to, oh, well, it might be better a year from now is a, is, is a cope. It's a cope. <laughs> yeah. We're having a conversation today about the clusterfuck, you know, fire, the dumpster fire that is his ownership today. And if in yeah. a year from now he's doing well, yeah. great. 
we'll talk about that. I'm not going to make up news from, from the future, majority of report style to, you know, minority report style to, you know, deflect from what's going on today. It's absurd. But hey, um, Chris, do you have anything to say about, do you have anything to say about the episode or should I move on to the I rest did. of this queue? <laughs> I did actually have something to say about the episode. Okay. Yeah. Um, as far as the episode go, like, obviously, I thought it was a good episode and everything like that. I think the kind of like what you like when you and uh, Mark were kind of like going back and forth a little bit more. It's about the idea of like black people and the idea of, is there this a power dynamic or this is accountability dynamic. And mm-hmm. I'm like, obviously, you, you guys saw like similarity, but you was just kind of like parsing out like which was what. And I mean, not to straddle the fence, but I think you both really did have a point. Like when it comes to like Kanye and like... um. Um, with Kanye, as far as like accountability from the the his quote unquote, actually I can't even say he's a part of this community. He's not a part of the community, but the ideal of being around black people and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, he was allowed to kind of let that kind of stuff rock, and he was still able to make money, and he was still able to do that. And I do think that was a huge part of that was accountability. It wasn't like, don't get me wrong, yeah, there were black people who said anything, but there was also a b- black people defending them. So when you have like a split thing and then it's, it was just like, uh, yeah, he dropped another album and it sold and he did everything. Like when, uh, Mark Lamar, Hill was talking about everybody going to Wyoming. There is some kind con- there, there was some truth to that. There was like a lot of big, like hip hop and just like, just people in the music injury gen- in general, literally outside in freezing cold Wyoming and tents and everything with his shitty hoodies and everything like that literally going around listening like he didn't just let off that kind of shit off on on tmz on like the biggest thing so i do think there was like a part of that like as far as like the accountability okay, Chris, do, do we think that there were um what uh, you know uh let's say do, do, do we ever ask the question should jewish people say more to distance themselves from jared kushner or what's his face steve uh steven what's the one I get Miller. Okay, I get I get what you're going. I get you. You know, like yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm just asking the question because this is the kind of yeah. conversation that I've literally never heard made about any other group. When anybody else does anything, like some evidence of some cohort of people still liking them. I'll tell you what. I phone called for Nina Turner in mm-hmm. in uh, Cleveland when all of those ads were going out about her hating Israel, mm-hmm. and I called the more affluent parts in Beechwood, and I got an earful. An earful about how I will never vote for Nina Turner because of her stance on Israel and all of this conservative stuff. So am I going to go around to all my Jewish friends and say, "Ah, I heard some bullshit going down in Cleveland. Where do you stand? Like, did you did you come out and support Nina Turner? I didn't see you make a black square on your Twitter bio for Nina Turner. (laughs) Oh, really? You're not going to go in front of like a whole Jewish crowd and then, you know, denounce, uh, you know, explain or right. Like, like there, there's always going to be some people like it's just really like it's absurd. There, there are, you know, tons of bad actors yeah. of every race at all times happening at all. And because some people, whoever could afford to go to Wyoming, I don't know who the idea there are. How many? 30 million black I, people in America? Yeah. And because there was a crowd of a thousand people or whatever in Wyoming, I'm supposed well, to was, draw some conclusion about what black people thought and how what black people were willing to ignore. Most black people never bought a Kanye album. Mm-hmm. Somebody's six-year-old grandmother is sitting here being told that they are somehow responsible for not disclaiming Kanye enough when, they, when, when they're out here just minding their business listening, listening to Luther. Yeah. 
Okay, so like, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, get, I I actually do get what you're saying. I actually really get your angle, and this is, I guess, I was going to say the part where I agree is the idea of power, and the like. And you literally just explained the idea of like the second he came for Jews, they literally took his money. Like that's literally what happened. They took his money, and I don't think I definitely don't think we have that kind of power or so. And then it's also what you kind of argue too is that you know it ain't just black people. It's literally the white people, like white people who listen to him too, that kind of carried him along. So it, I think it was a little bit of both. I think the 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 Wyoming instance, it was just more so like I guess like an observation. And I can say on my side, I think it was just a little bit more of a disappointment. But well, then someone brought up Epstein. Imagine us having a conversation right now about well, everyone. Epstein was an open secret. Why did why did you members of the Jewish community, community let Epstein say, go yeah, around raping everybody for so many years? It was on you to call him out. It's your fault that he got this far. Come on now, that that's insane. Honestly, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, touche. All right, touche. You got me on that one. Yeah, because I, I think I definitely see what you point. Like, no one is like when it, when it happens with other people in other communities. No one's going to like other communities like Jewish people or white people or Asian people whenever they have some guy. Bernie Madoff, how did you let him do it? Yeah, how did you let him do it? You guys were all there and you, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I got you. I got you 100%. And actually you made me kind of change my opinion. Okay, all right, okay. I see why you and I'm not, I'm not making a normative statement about how the world should be. Maybe it should be that everyone calls out everybody more all the time. Mm-hmm. All I know, however, is that somehow the, the, the argument that I've seen going around the most is that, like, you can't expect other people to be mad at things that you're not mad at. But the inverse is also true. Like, I think, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to handle a situation like Kanye. Mm-hmm. He is, I think, not just wrong he's also a little crazy and that complicates things mm-hmm. and i would like i'm i'm a person who generally speaking wants everyone to be better and rehabilitated as opposed to canceled like i'm happy when there's a good apology that comes out of someone from the me too stuff or they've seemed to demonstrate some growth and like i i'm not i'm not one of those um excommunicate types i don't think it's consistent with a left ideology mm-hmm. but like I don't know. I don't know. Like criminal criminal penalties and stuff aside. I mean, you know, whatever yeah. you're convicted for, you're convicted for. But when we're talking about these kind of social transgressions. I, I don't know, man. I don't. It, it seems to me that that's all a distraction. I just don't think it's about that. I think it's about the fact that everyone, including black people, mm-hmm. have decided culturally as a society, Cult- we just don't think anti-blackness deserves the same response as other kinds of bigotry and not just anti-Semitism, but also some of the uh, anti-trans comments. Yes. And and that's not forever. Like that's just in the moment we're in, like the historical moment we're in, there's clearly a hierarchy of what you can and cannot say. Just like there has always been a hierarchy of like what racial epithets are permissible or not. And the black people have been at the top of that list, designating the N word as like the, the, the line that shall not be crossed. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can still turn on the TV and find really racist anti-Asian commercials and comedians saying all kinds of things like there's a there's a there's a spectrum there. And some, but when it comes to this particular issue and this kind of this particular kind of bigotry, like outside of the N word, I think almost maybe we over police the N word and, and let all the other stuff go. <laughs> we were too lenient on all the other stuff. because <laughs> oh, now Nobody even knows what racism is with respect to black people unless it literally involves the N word. Yeah, because that's what actually something I've actually really realized, like, at least like as far as like, not all white people, but some white people like 
they really have no kind of like understanding of racism outside of that. So if it's not blatant in your face where the, the N word is used, it is just a bajillion and a hundred reasons why it's something else outside of that. And you just focused on stuff like that too much. That's mm-hmm. literally their argument. I come across that a lot. And I'm just like, wow, like you guys, maybe we did like, well, actually I won't say we, cause that, that's taking responsibility for something that I ain't had nothing to do with though. But maybe it's like, it was like, we made like racism bad. We just got to explain never really went into detail or explained what it actually was so their interpretation is oh well back in the day they used to say the n-word a lot so if he doesn't say the n-word then it's not racist it's just a bajillion of reasons why he responded this way not the fact that he's racist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes yeah um yeah um i think that yeah that's kind of crazy sitting there thinking about that honestly like uh the whole kanye thing and then i guess what i wanted to uh ask it was like it seems like with um the what what with people like the Jewish community and Jewish culture though it does seem like they come on one accord when they feel as though they're attacked. Whereas when it comes to anti-blackness and things like that, you know, you can always find a black person who's going to argue against it or argue. Who, or who's that? Know. Who's that? How many Jewish people did you talk to about any of this? How many Jewish people? Yes. Well, I just got on the floor. Well, I just saw your episode today. So I no, was, I'm just saying like this, this kind of stuff has been going on for a while. I know that I had a conversation with a bunch of Jewish friends after the Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. stand up and the consensus that I observed was the people who watched the stand up thought it was hilarious. The people who did it thought and just read the articles about it thought it was anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. So what is that? Am I, is that me saying, Oh, Jewish people are out here defending anti-Semitism. So they deserve anti-Semitism. Every Jewish person deserves an anti-Semitism because I found one okay. Jewish person to defend it. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess. I guess. <laughs> right, mean, like, yeah, plenty I, of people weren't offended. So, like, how dare you be offended? Yeah, it was like, okay, yeah. So, it's like, yeah, because you can always find somebody that argue against it or some, you know, yeah. I get what you're saying. It doesn't mean Like, that. who was who it? Who had those stand-up? Is it actually, is it Dave Chappelle? No. Who who brought this up in the chat the other day? The, like, oh, we got to get Jaw Rule, ja Rule's opinion oh, yeah, on this stand-up? Oh. Yeah, is it you? Not- yeah. Um. So it was the well. He the the guy who made the Ja Rule joke. He took mine because I I brought that up when we was I forgot what we was talking about. But the uh yeah the whole Ja Rule joke is like um it's like something serious going on and it's like uh well yeah uh it was during nine eleven um everything was going crazy and then it was like the news club was like hey let's bring Ja Rule to right and the, and the joke is that no one cares what Ja Rule, <laughs> ja Rule so what I'm what I'm trying to get to here is you know like let let's let's call up Bette Mittler and get her opinion on this. Like no one's doing that. Oh, oh, you know, um, Epstein hung himself. Let's let's get Woody Allen on the line. <laughs> like what? Yeah, yeah. No one is doing that. So it's not fair. Like a part of me is like, this just isn't fair. There yeah. is a media infrastructure that that elevates black people who have no business opining on half of this stuff to represent the interest of everybody and the way that other groups aren't forced into these corners. Uh, yeah, yeah. That is crazy because, like, when you, you just like, just thinking about like, um, I remember when like the whole Kanye stuff happened. Like, the whole news media atmosphere. I'm talking not just like, um, like TV news. I'm talking about sports. Everybody felt the need to make a comment or opinion. I remember TNT, um, yeah, TNT, uh, NBA basketball. Fucking Shaq, uh, uh, Shaq, Charles Barkley, and them felt the need to say something about Kanye. And it's like, I understood it when it was Kyrie because it's sports, but it's like. Even y'all got to be brought into like the denounce this, and it's like, and it's like, it was like this concerted effort of everybody, or at least all the mainstream black faces in news, or not even just news, just mainstream popular black people had to 
delivered their comment saying that Kanye West is a terrible person. And I, and I see exactly what you're saying as far as like, we don't ask that from any other culture. When one when someone does something fucked up or in, in another culture and then got to apologize for like the whole, you know, Latino community or mm-hmm. the Jewish community for things. So I hear you. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not even don't even get into the white community. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, Ariana but- Grande licked a donut. Uh, what does Timothy Chalamet have to say about that? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to push push on, but it was good talking to you, Chris. All right. Peace out. All right. Keep the faith. Thank you. All right. Look at this. Q is queuing. Uh, Nicholas, I'm coming to you. What's on your mind? Hey. Hey. What's on your mind tonight? Well, I listened to your, uh, to the Kanye thing. I missed some of the conversation that was happening before. I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting. I, I, I'm, I mean, it's, it, I just don't, I'm not sure where I end up on it. Cause I do agree that it does have this element of like, why, why does anyone care? What, you know, I mean, like he's clearly having some kind of episode. Why is anyone taking this seriously? It just seems, I mean, I think you mentioned the Piers Morgan interview where they just there, there seems to be like a pattern that they're trying to repeat it doesn't seem like a substantive substantive discussion so i i almost don't know i mean i know why it's become such big news but i don't i don't really understand why why it's sort of taken over the culture the way it has i mean look he said he, he said out loud egregious things and he is extremely famous. So I'm not like confused about why it's a news story or why. I mean, there's something really, it's like you, it's like a, not being able to look away from a car wreck. There's something fascinating <laughs> about the whole thing, the kind of boldness of it. The, it it's kind of like we were talking about this on Rising with them, Kevin DeLeon, and how, you know, he's uh, the city council member in LA who, yeah, got caught on tape saying the racist stuff, and then this week he was on camera getting into a like a fight, like a full on <laughs> fight with a constituent, and people have been asking him to step down since the tape, and even post fist fight in the hallway with a constituent, he's not stepping down. And Robbie and I were like, "There's this helplessness when you realize there are these limitations to the democratic process. It's like there's nothing you can do. If the man doesn't want to sit, step down, he just gets to be there into the ele- next election cycle, and even then he might still win because." Yeah. Electoral <laughs> politics are so crazy. And I kind of feel like that that with Kanye, like part of why we're all obsessed with it is because it's like, well, what can you do? Like yeah. what it is there's just something true about what Kanye is saying about how like when you're so rich, I mean he lost his Adidas contract and that hurts, but when you're so rich, honestly, as long as you're not breaking the law, you can wild out. <laughs> and there's yeah. nothing anybody can do about it. Look at Britney Spears <laughs> out here with her pants pulled down to the top of her pubic bone. Like, God bless, I wish her the best, but you know, there's nothing anybody can do. She was in a conservatorship for all those years. They tried. Yeah. But people are just on their own. I mean, I think one of the things that I did think about was that, like, you know, because you guys, you guys were talking, you know, I, I remember having this conversation. I was taking a class when I was in college. I'm trying to think what it was called. It was like race, religion, and power or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And this girl made a presentation about the confederate flag and why the confederate flag was such an offensive symbol mm-hmm. and when she was finished this other girl jumps in and goes oh you know where i grew up the confederate flag flies like every other house that i live in 
I think she said mm-hmm. every other house in her neighborhood had one fl- uh, flying, which, I mean, first of all, I found, I was like, what? what? And then, and she's like, you know, my, my uncle was in the army and I believe in supporting fallen soldiers. And I just think we should support fallen soldiers. And it was like this pall of silence, right? And but some, mm-hmm. a lot of people agreed, but nobody was really saying anything. And I was like, you know, let me just say this. Like, if my mother, I mean, this is the example I use. I mean, I was like 19 or whatever. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, if my mother was 350, 350 pounds, mm-hmm. she was five foot two and 350 pounds, and you called her fat, I would punch you in the face. You say mm-hmm. anything offensive about my mother, I'm just going to punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. And that's the energy I want around this discussion. If mm-hmm. I got up and said, oh, my, my uncle was in the, was from Dusseldorf. He was a farmer and he, he, you know, he was conscripted into the war. He didn't know anything about the Nazis. And as a result, I'm not going to fly a German flag or a picture of my uncle, but I'm going to fly a swastika. Everyone here, including myself, would understand that that's wrong. Right. There's something about this Confederate flag that's not getting mm-hmm. the same reaction. Mm-hmm. But I want you to feel that. Re- I was like, listen. I want everyone in this class to feel this energy. I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm not going to let the conversation finish. I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah, I I saw some people um, in the in the comments or in the chat of the of the YouTube video saying like, oh, I don't understand this analogy of slavery denial. Nobody denies slavery, and I was like, mm, uh, welcome to the conversation, my friend, because there was a whole like from the second slavery from the second the Civil War ended. It was, this isn't really about yeah. slavery. This war has nothing to do with slavery. We're calling yeah. it the war of war, uh, northern aggression. We don't treat the losing, um, what do you call it? Traitorous, what do you call it? Like defecting part of the country. We don't punish <laughs> them in any way. They're compensated for the loss of their slaves. They're literally paid out. Um, you know, there's no, like the, the little bit of like martial law that existed ended with Lincoln's death. And because Lincoln was such a putz and had like a right wing VP, like everything just ratcheted back and all the progress got lost. Like, you know, like, th- like this is the world we live in. And, and I had that same experience talking about the Confederate flag in every history class I ever took. I effing yeah. hated history. And I went to international school. So there would be kids getting their heckles up, as they should, about the various tragedies that happened in their country. I remember this one yeah. Cam- Cambodian girl, for some reason, was going hard in the paint defending the Confederate flag. I was like, first of all, this is none of your business. Second of all, I don't understand how your country could have experienced the kind of horrors that it has and for you not to have any empathy right now in this situation. And I got to tell you, this energy that I'm having right now and the energy that you describe of wanting to punch someone who insults your mom like it is frustrating it is frustrating to not feel that simpatico because i don't know how you as a subjugated people don't have that energy don't have that energy when you're thinking about the horrors of the holocaust don't have that energy when you're thinking about native american genocide don't have that energy like i feel that energy in all these other contexts and i do think that black people black americans you know so much of the equality struggle in this country came through us because we've just always been the super majority, uh, yeah. uh, the, the minority majority until very recently. Yeah, yeah. And so there is this way that black interests have always kind of stood in for everybody else's. And I yeah. think that we've internalized that and do have a kind of instinctive, like desire to kind of relate. Yeah. And, you know, I joke, you know, I joke like, Robbie and I were joking this morning. He's like, you know, I'm Italian. You know, I am Italian. I'm the only one in my family that came out looking like this. And we were joking about whether or not he's white. <laughs> we were having 
and like we're cutting up and having fun, you know. And like my instinct is to want to make everyone not white like me. You know what I mean? For yeah, like some solidarity reasons. Um, and when that's not reciprocated, it feels weird. And I do think that some of this frustration that I'm hearing from other black people is like, well, what the hell, man? Like, yeah. why am I not getting the same kind of <laughs> treatment? Yeah. And I, I don't even, I mean, for me, I don't even, I, I feel the same anger when I, if somebody was wearing a swastika, I'd, I'd be, I immediately would recoil. I mean, of course. There's no sense of me that, you know, so I, I, I think that to me, it feels like such a distraction when, when people start getting to like, oh, you know, um, do black people feel, you know, are they, anti- just, just feels like a, like a, like a nonsense argument. I think the two things are separate, but they're equally offensive. I think part of it is that white American culture identifies the Holocaust with this, with this narrative around, you know, saving Europe. And in the slavery narrative, it's not quite, as, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're, they're the antagonist. And so I think there's, there's a little bit yeah. of that that goes on. And frankly, you know, I, I, you know, the, the way that conversation in my college class ended, of course, with lots of tears and the blah, blah, but, but, you know, it just turned mm-hmm. out the person didn't actually know anything. That's the thing. And so when you talk about Holocaust denial and whether or not there's a, any kind of corollary in slavery denial, yeah, it's, it's almost, it's almost invisibilized by how it's just ignorance at this point. People literally don't even know anything. They, they'd have to know something to deny it. <laughs> And the thing that was wild to me, right? I mean, I remember, I remember like clearly, I mean, you know, I, I mean, again, I was 19, so my behavior wasn't like super well, but, um, you know, she was crying and apologizing. And I was like, you know, I don't take your apology because I know that in every other facet of your life, you know, I mean, this is a Columbia, right? In every if, if somebody said, if somebody said some shit like, oh, you know, like, you know, you, you spend your days going, oh, you thought that was Debussy? Oh, my God, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> you're, you're, you're this delicate genius in every other facet of your life. And suddenly you get to race and it's like, oh, I didn't know that slavery was offensive. It's like, oh, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't you give me the same, like, give me the same level of attention mm-hmm. that you give for everything else? Mm-hmm. Be the delicate genius about this. How come you don't know this? this Look, it sounds any... to me, Nicholas, that much like uh, myself, you were a terrorist in school. I, I was so annoying in law school. I was shy at first, but by my three-year year, I was a fucking kamikaze pilot just taking down three L's left, right, and center, just search and destroy. Yeah, this is my college, grad school job. I'm always just, because I just, I'm like, yo, you need, I remember this guy, this guy came, uh, I don't want to, I mean, this is like, but, you know, and these kind of like stupid statements. That's the thing. I, I can't accept that you, you, you're the delicate genius in every other aspect of your life. But when it comes to certain things, you're just like, oh, I don't even know. This guy, I remember this guy telling me, you know, I just don't see mm. race. I don't see gender. These kind of statements. And I was like, well, how did you meet your wife? And he looked at me and he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, how, you don't see gender. Like, are you sh- how did you meet your wife? How did that work out? <laughs> I mean, he panicked for a second because he thought you were saying that his wife was black or something. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, but it's just these kind of statements where you're like, you know, in every other facet of your life, you're like this hardcore, I've got a type A personality. I know all of this shit. And suddenly you get to like race or like gender. And it's just like, oh, I don't know. Uh, are they only are the only white men in this room? I didn't even notice. It's like what? And it's, look, I, I'm a 
not even that. Like, I'm past the point where I'm, like, so frustrated by the lack of knowledge. But it is, like, the what what you do next. Are, yeah. you gonna, are you going to kind of, like, try to just be sad for sympathy and to get out of it? Are you going to kind of reckon with what this means and try to learn something? I don't know, man. This this morning, in fact, I'm sorry. To, well, this happened no, on air, so it's fine. I, Robbie and I got into it because I don't even remember what segment this is in or why this came up. But the uh, – oh, I know what it was. We did a segment um, on – I don't know if you saw. There was a colloquy between this um, – I think she's in the House, this congresswoman uh, and this panel that included uh, Alessandra – I don't remember her name. She's a trans woman who's very, very vocal on the Internet and advocating for trans rights and stuff. She's also kind of libbish in some of her mm. takes that – some of her political takes are are libbish. Okay. There's a lot of good culture stuff, but there's also some libbishness. <laughs> so after Roe, she did a tweet that was like, the Supreme Court justices deserve to be accosted wherever they go. And this, so this Republican congresswoman questioned her about first before she showed that tweet was like, do you think that people should do violence or, or incite violence on the internet? And she was oh, like, no. And then she pulls up this tweet and she's like, okay, but you did, you said this. And moreover, I've had to get security because all these people have come to my house and da, 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 da. So do you condone this? And she was very tongue tied and it was not a good look. I'll yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So I had them contrast that clip with the clip of Marjorie Taylor Greene at some con- conservative conference oh. saying that if she had planned one six, they would have been armed and they would have been successful. Oh. Okay, so I put it to Robbie. I'm like, it seems to me that if we're going to be really, really honest, the difference between these things is not substantive. It's who you think is right. And if yeah, you believe that Roe, that the Dobbs decision really threatens women's lives and women are going to die from ectopic pregnancies and have to carry their, you know, children from rape to term and all of these horrible things, then you do think that it's worth it, like it's justified to do physical bodily harm against the Supreme Court justices. Yeah. And, like, just own that. Like, you said it, own it. Yeah. Meanwhile, Marjorie Taylor Greene probably really does wish physical bodily harm on a bunch of Democrats, Paul Pelosi, all the rest of the stuff they make oh. fun of all the time. And they think that they're morally justified because they think the Democrats are that bad. And so this, this, this what about in this you said it, you said it hypocrisy game only gets you so far. And I said at the end of the day, it's like the Haitian Revolution. History will judge who's right. And I'm, I'll tell you what, I don't spend a single second thinking about the people who got slaughtered after enslaving all those people for all that time. Oh, well, you know, fuck around, find out. You know what I mean? Like, you, you enslaved people for generations okay this is what revolutions look like they're bloody this is what wars look like they asked nicely you didn't free them so here we are and then robbie starts defending it like oh but they killed women and children and they enslaved women and children yeah but like there's the it's the it's this perspective difference and at the end of the day you're not going to get past fundamentally either you value a life you value someone's position or you don't and i don't know it's like ultimately i don't know who's right or wrong i have my subjective opinion it's between We'll we'll all be judged at St. Peter's Gate or whatever you believe in, <laughs> or not at all because it's just the void. And I also think <laughs> that like it, what amazes me, right, is that you know, and I I, I remember, you know, I mean, it's not that much happened in college, but I'm just saying, like, they did a they did a bake sale, they did a bake sale. I can't remember what year this was. Maybe I was a junior, and mm-hmm. they did they called it an affirmative action bake sale. 
And yeah, I know about those. Yeah, they were charging different prices or whatever, right? So I see this and I'm like, oh, all right. And it's a bunch of kids, you know, I won't describe them necessarily, but I mean, what, what, I, what they definitely look, what they were was smaller than me. That was one thing I knew. And they were less aggressive than me. So I just walked mm-hmm. up and I, gra- I grabbed some, I grabbed a bag and I started filling, filling up the, the cakes or whatever the fuck they had there. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, you know, you're charging. I said, no, no, this is my price. My price is you guys want to make a joke? No worries. <laughs> I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> Yo, you really are out here just terrorizing the and, people, Nicholas. <laughs> and so I had, I had with me like two friends who were equally, equally side, well, they're bigger than me. <laughs> Nicholas. And, and we we're just like, all right, if you guys want to be, and I think that's the part that I think that's the energy you have to bring. It's like, you want to play this kind of like, ha ha, let's see what you do. I'm going to punch you in the face. Well, that's not fair. It's like, oh, you said, let's see what we do. And to me, that's, that's the energy that, that people need to be on, right? And like, just like, just like I said, like, if somebody pulls out a swastika, people go crazy. And they should, and when you pull out, a, if, if somebody pulled out a swastika and the person got punched in the face, no one would be saying, oh, well, you know, what kind of thing is this? They would be like, oh, no, I get it. You were triggered. Yeah, punching Nazis like, wanna... is, is the whole cool thing. Everyone, like society has agreed that punching Nazis is exactly the thing you should do. If I walked into a Waffle House and punched the guy wearing a Confederate flag, I say Waffle House because the last time I was in a Waffle House <laughs> in Mississippi, there were fully four humans oh, in the bro. building with Confederate flags on their clothing, and it was not that large a restaurant. I would go, I, I would go nuts. I would so go this, nuts. Black people live in this fucking state of racial terrorism all the time we're just expected to be chill with all of this shit 100 percent of the time joe I, biden is out here eulogizing segregationists and we're all supposed to just shrug and say oh that was a long time ago yeah no it's, it's insane wild. and no and one I, reacts like this joe biden is a racist like he just is uh, you know and like we're just all <laughs> cool with it we're just all supposed to be cool with it all the time so that's why i'm like this idea that we're all holding each other accountable for the things that happen. And it's like, where were all the white people mad about Joe Biden's history of, of to saying that integration means, makes it a racial jungle and all of this shit? Where were all of the so-called feminists talk when he had all these credible accusations of sexual assault? Where is everybody all that's calling out? Suddenly, the only time that we're, we're mad about people for calling out people is, it seems, when we got to ask Ja Rule what black people think. <laughs> I love you. Like the fact that like people even think that, like Kanye is some kind of something, some kind of vessel of like black thought or like you know even it just it just it just boggles the mind, right? It just boggles the mind. It, it, it just it just boggles the mind. It's like who even? I mean, you, you said just a while ago, like you know, how many people bought Kanye's? How many black people bought Kanye's album? Yo, who is even buying albums right now? Aren't we just all <laughs> streaming? I haven't bought an album in like ten years. Well, I know the last album you bought was Takashi Six Nine. I know that. For <laughs> <laughs> the way I panicked when he started talking about Takashi Six Nine, I was like, "Oh Lord, which one is that?" <laughs> I know Takashi Six Nine is the last song you streamed. Oh, sure. I was like, "You heard? You hear me trying to figure out which baby is whose baby? The baby, the baby, little baby, little yeah, mama." You reel that past. I don't know. That might be before Tupac got shot. 
Maybe. No, but, you know, somebody had dragged up. Remember, remember when P Diddy and Alicia Keys performed uh, New York? No, sorry, um, Jay Z and Alicia Keys oh. performed New York at some Listen award show. You don't like the wire and all of these culture references. You're falling down pegs here. No, no, no. Uh, this yeah, was about, so the reason Lil Mama's on the mind is because remember when they did that performance <laughs> and, and Lil Mama ran stage. up on stage <laughs> and Beyonce tried to like hold her back and then she just ran up there because she was so, I guess, overcome by the New Yorkiness of it all as a New Yorker. Yes. And everyone, it was so cringe and everyone clearly just didn't want her to be there. Somebody resurfaced <laughs> that on the timeline yesterday. And I was like, oh yeah, Lil Mama, I wonder what she's up to. <laughs> I wonder what she's up to. I actually think, uh, <laughs> I think I might know but. I, I, you know, I actually had, the, you know, you mentioned the Haitian revolution. I have a mm-hmm. question for you. I know this is totally off topic, but if you just park it somewhere, I just wonder what your thoughts are on. So I read this article about Haiti asking for intervention. Do you read about this? I saw it on the timeline. I didn't have the emotional energy to click through. What did it say? And I want, I wonder what your thoughts are on, on, on countries like Haiti or Venezuela, where intervention is really is being asked for by a, a who you know, a, who asked for it? From, from what I understand, is a plurality of people. From what I understand, I'm not I'm not claiming that I know, but you know, countries like Grenada, for example, Grenada. I mean, the plurality of the population wanted the Americans to come in, right? I mean, that's that's 100 fact. So, all right, uh, you know, I just I, I, I have to I can I don't I, have any thoughts on it because I haven't read it. Yes. But when you, but if you're, if you're thinking of topics to discuss, I'm just curious, just as, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a pacifist myself, but when I, when I read those things, I start to think, well, Nicholas, Nicholas, you don't get to talk about trying to bust in the faces of the big sale kids and beating up the yo mama joke guy. (laughs) And then walk around here talking about I'm a pacifist. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm sort of a general, as long as nobody troubles me. Okay, Nicholas, a conditional (laughs) pacifist. Don't come with the six foot of Nicholas. He's going to just be walking around swinging his arms with a mace in it, talking about, I'm a pacifist, though. (laughs) But honestly, like, if somebody told you some wild shit, you'd have to say something crazy, right? I mean, like, and I mean, it was so offensive. Can you imagine? Like, you pay your money to go to school, and some fucking kid decides he's going to have an affirmative action bake sale, and this is supposed to be funny? Yeah, no, it's supposed to it's supposed to prove how unjust affirmative action is. I never experienced one in my life. So if for those of you who don't know, the gist is that black kids pay less for the baked goods and white kids pay more for the baked goods. And I'm like, try me. I will happily go get some discount <laughs> sweets. In this case it was the opposite. In this case it was the opposite. This was the this was the Columbia humor that they thought was so clever. I was like, fuck these. This kids. is that Columbia see this is why I've heard story. I don't know a single person. Let me tell you, this, them is, with a this, stick. Is, this is not a conversation anybody cares about. Um, but <laughs> in case you were wondering which other worst Ivy League schools for black people, I've heard the worst stories about Princeton and Columbia. I've never met a black person who didn't find uh, Princeton to be um, racially terrorizing from my first boyfriend's sister all the way to Michelle Obama. Yeah. yeah that's, just, that. that's just what I've heard. So save your kids save your money don't well, do Princeton. i also think that like for me if i if i if i had a different personality i could see myself really not thriving in that in, in that kind of environment right i mean i'm just i'm like i just i'm just not having it so you know in those uh, evidently nicholas like fuck that i'm not i'm not holding this in i'm not about like taking this i'm not going to write a book about this later we're going to deal with this right now 
Nicholas, I don't know that I, I could. I, I I'm a little afraid to even have tea with you because <laughs> oh, no. I don't know what's going to set you off. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, and I'm not a, trying to be in the line of fire. That's a crazy. Nicholas, thing. I got to move on in this queue. Yes, I'm sorry. That was a crazy thing. Yes. That was a crazy thing. Yeah. You got to match crazy with crazy, right? Oh, Nicholas. Check in with us regularly so we make sure you're still okay and with us and one of these altercations hasn't resulted in a bad outcome for you. All right. I know you're a big guy, Nicholas, but sometimes small people got got, you know, training and skills. Yeah, no, all right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Take care, Nicholas. Keep the faith. All right, Andy, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, can you hear me? Loud and clear. All right, so let me think. Yeah, this was a good episode, and let me. Uh, it reminded me of. There wasn't like a um, academic term for it, but it was like when you talked about how why um, you know it seems that society like Americans don't like value when black racism is don't value black racism as much as they value racism towards other, like the Jewish um, racism. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of this uh, thing in my anthropology class where um, the professor talks about how there's like, for people with more power um, and people with less power, people with more power are both like more what's the word? I guess you could say more confident, like more like assured that they deserve sort of rights and people with less power are like, don't expect that they're going to get rights. So we read this kind of story, uh, fresh fruit, broken bodies about, um, Mexican immigrants and how one time after working the fields, this white guy, along with like, um, fellow workers that were Mexican immigrants that went Mm -hmm. to this Burger King and, when they ordered, they didn't get as many fries as they ordered. So, um, the, the anthropologist, he's why he's goes, Hey, why didn't you like, you know, we didn't get as much fries as we ordered. Should we, mm-hmm. you know, should we go up and ask for more? And the Mexican workers are like, no, they're going to throw us out. We're going to get in trouble. And you know, the anthropologist goes up and he gets extra fries cause he's white maybe. And I think what this story's to tell is just that, um, maybe the Mexican workers would have been thrown out and there would have been punishment for them if they got extra fries, but they, we also don't know that. But what we do know is that these people on the lower echelons end up not asking for much because they are used to not getting what they want and they are used to having to deal with it. So my thought process is that I think, and it reminds me kind of of the what rail um, worker strike and your talk with Ryan Grimm, where it's like Ryan Grimm wants us to like look forward in the future and like keep going and like, you know, like, oh, don't worry, there'll be other, you know, there'll be other things that we can fight for. And I think you were right when you talk about how I think we should just stay here for a moment and be angry. And I think that for a lot of, you know, working class people and black people too, you know, in particular, um, we, we move on too fast. Like we get angry, but we need to stay angry. And yeah, that's just, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. 
I, I, I agree. I mean, look to your story about um, the fries. That that's the hard the hard thing. There's a you know a more conservative leaning discourse that says, you know, black people have a victim mentality. You're always looking for something wrong. You think mm-hmm. that everything is racist all the time. Da da da. But I think while there is a very vocal kind of empowered bourgeois <clears throat> category of black people that is that that is often talking about perceived instances of microaggressions and stuff like that. I think the overall majority of black people are never saying anything about anything. Right. <laughs> the coinage of the term microaggression is because we all know the things that we just don't say out loud and talk about because you cannot prove it. And that's, what's so destructive mm-hmm. about it. Like you know that like some percentage of the things that are happening are racially motivated. Mm-hmm. Not all necessarily, but some percentage are and not being able to, prove it makes you not want to make accusations that you can't back up because it's also kind of like someone so you internalize all of that yeah it's also like even if they aren't doing it you might be just like even if like someone isn't like doing it on purpose it might be that you've never been validated in that feeling so like it at least feels that way which also kind of has the same like mental effect like if you're not being validated in your feelings if that makes sense Yes. I mean, I, I have a friend who's a teacher who just went through this with a student. There was an incident in the classroom where uh, a, there's a black girl and a white girl and the black girl and the, they're like joking and like teasing at the end of class. as They're walking out uh, and they're betting on something. I forget. I don't know what. Like, I, I bet you a hundred dollars that I'm going to get an A, let's just say. And then the black girl says and the white girl says, do you even have a hundred dollars? And apparently there's like a hush in the room and everyone like interprets it as she doesn't have money because she's black. Mm-hmm. But it's not said explicitly, right? There's a lot of other reasons why you might not have money, including just being 16 years old. Yeah. You know, maybe you don't have $100 because I didn't have $100 when I was 16 years old. Um, so, you know, in the moment, the teacher's like, do I acknowledge this in a way that gives more energy to this and then also makes an accusation that I can't really prove about the intent behind what the white student has said. I have an obligation to protect all the students in the class and for all of them to feel safe. But if I privilege the white student in this situation, right. Obviously you can see from her face that she took this. Mm. She's hurt by this statement. I see. And like, we, we spent some time talking through like, what do you do with this? And he ended up, you know, talking to, uh, um, the diversity, person at the school and i you know i talked to my mom about it you know she's a psychologist and does diversity inclusion stuff like i it was and we all found a a challenging moment because when i was in school back with the expectations i had 20 plus years ago in high school i wouldn't have want my teacher to touch it with a 10-foot pole because my teachers were ignorant as hell (laughs) and i would not i would just been like let me handle it let me handle it let me get out of this room let me handle it um, but like, apparently the black student wanted a teacher to be involved, had spoken to a counselor later about how she wished the teacher had gotten involved. And I don't know, like that, that is such a prototypical example because these moments are, are tough and they can, they can, yeah. they can make them worse. <laughs> I actually remember there being a story in my high school, but I don't know if that like has anything to do. Well, basically there was in high school, the teacher like asked kind of the students like, uh, like I don't know if it was a theoretical or like just ask them a question which was basically like a teacher sees 
uh, a black kid and a white kid, they're friends. And the white kid is like using the N word and the black kid seems to be okay with it, but he might not. And the Mm -hmm. teacher stops class and is like, Hey, like you shouldn't say that. And like, I think, you know, she, and the black kid who's the friend, like just kind of like, doesn't want to like talk about it or like acknowledge it that much. Mm -hmm. Like, cause the teacher like talked like, Hey, are you okay with this? Like, like the white kid's like, no, he's okay with it. And they just like, are you okay with it? And that was very awkward. So, mm-hmm. and then when the class finally leaves, she's like, uh, was that the right thing to do? And it's kind of like, you know, I really do think we should just have uh, critical race theory because there is just, race is just so ingrained in our culture that it's important for teachers and kids to understand and learn how to deal with these situations or just to understand what they're saying has lots of political or just like connotations with it. And it's very easy to say something that's hurtful. And it's tough. And I, you know, the white kid probably didn't mean it, you know, whatever that means. Yeah. I assume. Right. It doesn't mean it wasn't hurtful and that she shouldn't have said it. And, you know, Mm. we, we came up with a solution. Ultimately the, the DI person at the school actually, I think gave a good response that I hadn't thought of, but like, I, I do, I do think I you know, know what it was? I just, I'm just saying that it's legitimately... Um, it was something like... Um, in this classroom, we don't assume what folks do or don't have. Like, okay. in, the, in the moment. When I talked to my mom, my mom was kind of like, yeah, I would just... You can you can preserve time for you can say like whoa 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 okay let's let's talk about what just happened here and buy yourself a little bit of time to process what happened, you know, and just ask like, well, why did you say that? What did you mean by that? And like mm-hmm. force the white girl to either revise and clarify or own her intent and then you have a clearer ground to actually push back on the racial aspects of it for sure but it's tough and it takes it takes like thinking very quickly things are moving people are walking in and out of the room and it's yeah. it is i don't know it's hard even I, I was yeah. struggling for it i'm black and i feel like i talk about this stuff a lot and i was like kind of feeling for my white teacher friend. <laughs> We just don't respect racism in this country. That's the thing. We just don't respect how both complicated and how hurtful the things we do and say can be. And I think Mm. we should respect it more. And we should be, to bring it back to my, you know, original point is just, we should be angry about being disrespected and we should be, and we should like linger with it. We should like not as quickly forget and we should, you know, hold politicians accountable and all that stuff for being disrespectful and not just like move on. Cause like when you brought up, um, Buffalo, I was mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, it's been so long since I've heard, like heard anyone talk about it. It was like, I honestly forgot a little bit and mm-hmm. it was kind of scary. It was kind of like, mm-hmm. wow. Like people should really just talk, <laughs> you know, obviously we do and ever, and people should get, people are angry about injustices, but people should stay angry. And that was, that's all I want to say. Yeah, I agree. Good call. Thanks for calling in, Andy. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great everything. Hey, Merry Christmas. What do you want? <laughs> you Merry, what do I want? Oh, I'm sorry. I already pressed the next. Um, what do I want for Christmas? I want to not have to spend the holiday stressed out about gifts I have to buy for other people. I think it ruins Christmas. Gift giving ruins Christmas. I have bad executive function, bad planning skills, and I hate that I'm now frantically making purchases because like I don't have a week off before Christmas to sit around on my ass thinking about gift buying, you know, like I just came up from water today after a hellish week. I got three, four hours of sleep last night and four hours of sleep the night before. 
You know, I don't, I don't have, I have no fucking time for this. Here's a gift card with some money on it. Do you know what I'm saying? I know I'm sounding very grinchy, but I would rather spend Christmas, you know, stringing cranberries on the tree and baking cookies and doing gingerbread houses and watching Christmas movies and just spending time together. We're all grown. Nobody's a child. Nobody needs Santa. Nobody needs gifts. Everybody has a job. Let's just spend time together. Um, <laughs> but what's on your mind, Aaliyah? Hey, Brie. What's going on? I'm good. Long time no chat. How have you been? I've been okay. been hanging in there, you know. Life is, you know, just a bit chaotic, but hanging in there. Um, yeah. Great episode, for sure. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, first of all, I totally forgot about Chrisette Michelle. Uh, Yo, <laughs> I was like, flashback, because I was really feeling her in like her 2008 era. Yeah, yeah, I think I was too. <laughs> I, I just totally forgot she, she Like bald-headed Chrisette Michelle was the one that I liked. You know, she yes. had a little cute little close, close crop. Yes. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah, I totally forgot she sang at Trump's thing. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Um, um, and also, did you see that thing? Uh, I think it came out today that apparently Kanye's been like loving Nazis for like 20 years or something. Wait, what? <laughs> so if you look it up, it's there's a Rolling Stone article on it. Um, okay, let me get this laptop. And apparently, there's like half a dozen sources who worked with him that tell Rolling Stone that. His alleged obsession of Hitler and Nazis dates back even further than previously. Recorded. 20 years. <laughs> You're not kidding. This yeah. was published six hours ago. Okay, let's just open this by Cheyenne Roundtree. The rapper spoke of his admiration for Hitler during the making of the college dropout and even tried to use propaganda strategies inspired by the Nazis to boost his own fame, sources tell Rolling Stone. I need to know more about stories, sources. Oh, they want me to subscribe to read this. I feel like I already have a subscription, and this is whack. This is whack. Oh, it's not giving me a paywall. I, I probably have just re- reached my limit. Oh. <laughs> I live like my whole life Googling articles. Yeah, I just saw that. I just let me see if it'll that. let me log in with my Gmail. I used to definitely have a subscription. People take... Like, I don't even want to know what the sum total of all the subscriptions I have are because it's absolutely absurd. Okay, I can't, I can't get in there. Can, can you tell me what's who, – who are the sources? Do they name anybody? Uh, and why haven't they spoken out earlier? Right. right. No, that's the real question here. Um, no, it just – let's see. It, it says as, as nearly half a dozen sources who worked with West um, that I guess – yeah, they claim that West has been discussing his admiration for Hitler and what he sees as positive achievements of Nazi Germany for nearly two decades, describing it as a well-known but well-kept secret within the rapper's inner circle. So Jesus. I'm guessing this is just, I guess, This I don't really know. is some Weinstein stuff. Everybody knew? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah, it said, um, beyond just fascinating, Fascination. Two sources claim West allegedly took inspiration from Nazi propaganda strategies and power gaining tactics to achieve his own fame and success. Quote, it's not a stretch to now compare Kanye's 
by any means necessary methods and tactics with Adolf Hitler's, a former longtime collaborator says, um, quote, to know that a Hitler slash Joseph Goebbels playbook has been a central inspiration to Kanye's own media playbook helps bring a great deal of clarity to the exact types of moves he's been making over his career, unquote. West did not exactly reply is Goebbels' okay. playbook in terms of media strategy in Kanye know. West? What are the parallels there? <laughs> no clue there. Um, but yeah, and it goes on a bit, but um, it doesn't say exactly like the, these you know, sources. Are. This man is. This man is. Oh, <laughs> I can't. I. I don't. I don't understand how this hasn't come out before this. I don't understand how these women have married him. At least one. Right. It's. It's. Crazy. Oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, yeah. I. I. That. That. Yeah. That. I just saw that today and was just like, oh yeah. Okay. It just keeps getting worse. It just really. It, it doesn't stop. Um, but yeah, um, well, I didn't it's, have, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. I was gonna say, it's weird because he's, it would almost make more sense if we found out that he was like in league with an organized, like a Nazi organization. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when we talked, remember we had that episode with the, um, with the former Nazi and you talked mm-hmm. about how he was radicalized, how they like found him in an alley when he was a teenager how they, you know, made him feel special and good because he was Aryan and it, he was from like a broken background and it gave him, like, it would, it, it's obviously horrible, but that those kind of trajectories, like you can kind of wrap your brain around it and it makes some kind of sense why a person mm-hmm. would fall into that. This Kanye stuff, it's just part of what's so confusing is that it's like, what is this doing for you? Like, mm-hmm. how is this serving you? It, it just I, I don't get you, it. You're just really a lone a lone black man who's just decided, you know what would be good for me? Elevating Nazis. <laughs> like, what do you gain? I, I don't I don't get Where it. Where does it's he like see he... himself in and the thing about that Alex Jones clip, what one of them, the one about the um Hugo Boss uh Nazi uniforms like, it was clear that he and Alex Jones had had a conversation before about how Kanye admires Nazi uniform design. Because mm-hmm. Alex brought it up preemptively, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that you like the design, but, like, you can like the outfits, but obviously Hitler's bad, right? We can agree. And Kanye's like, nah! <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like it, too. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it's insane! Yeah. So, that, like, in that moment, it's like, so Alex Jones, they fully already had this argument because Alex Jones was already armed with the idea that, oh, okay, like, let me just try to, let me try to cordon off and limit what Kanye admires to just this one little aesthetic thing and save him from himself. And Kanye was not having it. So he had that conversation with Kanye. Kanye obviously was still trying to push this idea that Nazis are good. And he still had him on and was somehow surprised by him doubling down. Right. And it's, it's just, I... Oh, it's, it really is like a car wreck. It's like, it's hard to, your brain keeps just trying. It's like looking at, you know, that photograph of all of the, um, it looks like you're looking at real things, but when you try to focus on any one object, you realize it's just mess. Like it's not any actual mm. object in the photo. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know that, that that's that's what it feels like. My brain keeps trying to make sense of it, and there's just no sense to be made. Yeah, <laughs> there's really not. There's anyway, so I'm sorry, sorry I cut you off. What were you gonna say? No, no, I I, I wasn't gonna say much. It's just yeah, it's just it's complete chaos, and it, it almost doesn't make sense. It's almost like he's just like, and just a natural like contrarian, like just constantly trying to go against the grain of what's a general consensus that we all kind of agree on he's just like no actually um that's you're all wrong and I'm you know like it's just I don't know it's it's a mixture of things obviously but yeah um quite quite sad to see um but before I before I let you go I just I don't know I'm I'm been catching up on the latest Colin episodes the recordings um Mm -hmm. and I haven't finished the latest one on the last episode so I don't know if this has already been discussed so I apologize if it has but what are your thoughts on the White Lotus finale are we uh spoiling up in here I mean spoiler alert should we should we just Spoiler alert. I mean, it hasn't been a week. Like, (laughs) I will say it hasn't been a week. So let me just say it without spoiling. Okay. Okay. If I can, let me, let me see if I can do this. I enjoyed the finale. I did not enjoy who died. Okay. (laughs) I, I understand the rationale from Mike White from like the, you know, the commentary after the episode that he felt like he wanted the person who died to feel like they had some small victory, like some kind of victory before they died. Mm -hmm. But he felt like their arc really had to end. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to commit to the death, even though he wanted, he didn't want it to be like all doom and gloom for them. But I didn't perceive the way I interpreted it, her like small, sorry, shit, their small (laughs) successes um, before they died just made me angrier about the senselessness of the death because mm, they almost made it and then yeah. died stupidly. <laughs> right. It's like you were almost there. Yeah, right. No, I, I totally get that. Yeah. It, uh, I'm just kind of sad that that particular, you know, story had to, to end that way for sure. But, but I liked the ending better than the ending of the first one. I felt like the first mm. season started off well and ended kind of poorly and unsatisfactorily and everyone I liked got screwed in the first one in the first season and the second season I felt like I liked how most of the storylines wrapped and I know that somebody had to die I just wish it had been somebody else (laughs) yeah me too (laughs) I really I did not think they were going to go there um I thought they were going to go in a different, slightly different direction. Um, Some people are like, whose death would have had an impact? I feel as though what I'm about to say is going to be mildly spoilery. I feel as though if someone who was there vacationing with their entire family had died, certainly it would have an emotional impact to lose mm-hmm. one's son, father, grandfather, grandson, etc. Yeah. And yeah. that would have been weighty. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely agree with that assessment. Um, but I mean, I, I'm so glad I was so glad to hear you that you watched this show, though, because I just I love it so much. And I can't wait for season three. I'm excited to see what uh, what 
Mike White is going to do So it sounds like they're going to, to like, maybe Bali. There was something in the mm. post-episode clues where it seemed clear that they're going to Southeast Asia. Okay. Which, you know, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we we shall see. Uh, do you have, like, a favorite character from the season? Or? Um... Well, first I just want to say, like, the, some people's criticism the first season was that they felt like Mike White didn't handle the characters of color as well as he handled white characters. And since everybody was white in this one, everything just went better because he's better at talking about class than he has race. I mean, they're not all white. Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza and her husband aren't white. But their role in this was to be their white passing friends, people of color friends. You know what I mean? Like, they actually mm-hmm. say that in one of the episodes. Like, mm-hmm. we're the white, we're the most diverse people these people know and we're like marginal it's kind of the implication yeah so that being said that's why i have a, some concerns about it going to bali we'll see how this goes either they're going to cast white people in, in all of the major hotel roles which will be a choice or <laughs> they're not going to and then we're going to have to deal with whether or not they write them well yeah so we'll see i don't want to be pessimistic about it but we'll see yeah um so you asked me if I had a favorite character. Yeah. I have a favorite character. I like the singing sex worker. Yeah. Oh, no, what? Screw that. I like I like the concierge. Oh, uh, Valen- Valencia? What's Valentina. her name? Valentina. Valentina. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Valentina. I obviously love Aubrey Plaza because I'm a 37-year-old yeah. um, <laughs> surly woman (laughs) (laughs) i love her too (laughs) uh yeah what about you yeah i don't know um i i definitely liked aubrey's character um i think she played it really well Mm -hmm. and daphne was very interesting uh as a character as well but um but, oh wait, wait! Which one's Daphne? <laughs> Is Daphne? No, she's the um, Cameron's wife. Oh, I I liked her. I didn't expect yeah. to. I thought the actress did a good job. She did. She definitely did. She she was definitely an interesting character. Um, I like Cameron. I'm not gonna lie. I'm excited <laughs> when Cameron's on the screen. He was yeah. he was doing what he needed to do. Yeah, indeed he was. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and. The whole, like, with Albie and, like, you know, the the dad and the grandpa, that was that was interesting. I don't know. Albie just obviously just was pretty, I don't know, clueless and naive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he annoyed me. The, I mean, the one I loathed, and everyone, I think you're just, everyone hates her, is the assistant. I, everyone hates her. Well, because yeah. they make her, I mean, everyone hates everything she's wearing. And that's on yeah. purpose. She just, it's just offensive. <laughs> and then moreover, she is so stupid in that last episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And even going for that horrible British guy in the first place, like, I ugh. <laughs> it's just like gross. Just, uh, I felt like I was watching Love Island the whole time they were interacting. <laughs> I was, oh my God, I'm back in the villa. Like, it was, yeah, it was cringe. Um, but I mean, I, I I liked that, you know, they, I guess, her and Albie kind of reconciled at the end. I don't know. Um, people people were like, that's an anti, like, that's a, that's like a sex negative take. 
that like the the arc of the story, the moral of the story is don't get mixed up with, you know, mm. sex workers, date the boring you know, or like kind of working class British chaps, go with the guy from Stanford, go with mm-hmm. the nice generic blonde girl, you know, like state play it safe is the moral of the story. Yeah. And, and I saw some I saw some commentary around that. That that they shouldn't have they shouldn't have hinted at a romantic reconciliation. They didn't have mm-hmm. to hint at a romantic reconciliation. You know, they could have just seen each other in the airport mm-hmm. and been like, "Yeah, that happens." Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I hadn't seen that take. I'm, that's interesting. I guess in a way, it it might have makes sense. I don't know, but it was it was interesting. But yeah, I'm I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that you. You watch that show, so I don't have anywhere to talk about it. Let me tell you, I watch every single thing because I'm allergic (laughs) to not being outside of the zeitgeist. So here we are, Leah. Here we are. Yeah, we we definitely, I'm sure we'll have plenty more shows to to talk about. A hundred percent. Robbie's watching Wednesday now, so maybe we'll do a call-in with him to talk about that series. You know what? Yeah, I need to because everyone has been watching that and I haven't seen it yet. Do I have to like be an Adams family? Like I haven't no. watched anything Adams family before. So well, well, you should watch the movie from the '90s just because it's excellent. Yeah, and it's okay. on Netflix. Okay, okay. It's it's just only ninety minutes of your time. It's 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 a perfect '90s movie. Okay. All right. That's all you need. Uh, no one needs to go back and watch like the six, like, the black and white series from the sixties. Yeah. No one needs okay. that. <laughs> Although my mother loves to watch that in the Munsters. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna push on through this queue. But I appreciate okay. this diversion into pop culture, Leah. Yes, no problem. Thank you for taking my call. Have a good night, Bree. Have a good night. Keep the faith. Uh, Brian Pryor. <laughs> What's on your mind? Hey, Bree. Um, just trying to take everything in. It's been a real good call in, but I think, um, I guess my my issue with how people, especially white Americans in particular, talk about Nazis is like, obviously, fuck the Nazis. Like that goes without saying. But it's like the way they fetishize them to the point where it's like they're such a foreign thing. When when you look at American history, so much of it is giving Nazi Germany. Like Nazi Germany was out here taking notes from the United States of America's apartheid like, state, like, word like for literally word, bar for bar. Like it's it like, and I, it's just, and I get uncomfortable because it was like if Kanye talked about how much he loved Andrew Jackson, would that have been okay? Like mm-hmm. that meant, with all the people he, and it's just like I mean I feel like the founding. I mean, that's probably that next for him, honestly. Like, did Andrew Jackson have a good fit? Well, I mean, if he was stunning those breaches kind of he's a contrarian he's <laughs> off his meds although I mean I, I don't want to say that too flippantly because people struggle with mental challenges and they don't become racist so I'm not going right. to talk all up to that right ooh you're kind of glitchy for me Brian I don't know if you're moving around or if you can go back I near like a window or wherever you It all needs to be scrutinized. Yeah. Hold on, I can try something. Does that sound better now? Or... Yeah, you're coming through now. Okay. Um. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like, Nazis, white supremacists, and all 
facts of history from each from the American white supremacists, the Germans, I mean, go down the list. They all need the same smoke is basically what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And for Kyrie, it's like, I don't know. I played sports growing up and I love sports. So I always thought athletes, black athletes in particular, was kind of like a waste of a wasted opportunity because for better or for worse, they have a lot of sway in the black community and I just feel like if someone with the profile of a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan or any famous athlete had like leftist politics, I think that could be useful. And with the background that so many of them come from being poor, being impoverished and making it big, I just feel like if they had someone along the way to teach, to tell them about, you know, leftist ideology and how they could, you know, and the thing too is like they, they make so much money, and what they do is so tangible in the sense that, you know, LeBron in this peak couldn't really be replaced by anyone. So he could mm-hmm. be like a die in the wool socialist and nobody could really tell him shit because mm-hmm. like the NBA is not going to let him not play because he likes socialism because he's giving you triple doubles. Like he could really, or someone with that statue could really, I don't want to say be a voice for the voiceless, but like, you know, you look at someone like Justin Jackson for the Chargers. He has mm-hmm. great politics, but he doesn't have the, obviously the platform of a LeBron or mm-hmm. I don't know, just a Steph Curry, but it's just, I just always thought that was a wasted opportunity. Cause like, yeah, like you said, you know, I mean, Malcolm X said the same thing. Like why do our ballplayers and entertainers get boosted? But like, if they're going to get boosted, you might as well like make the most of it, you know? And it's mm-hmm. just, I don't know. It's like, they got so many yes men around them and, you know, a lot of them are seen as prodigies as a young age. I think that's what happened to Kyrie. I mean, he's been, I mean, he was the number one pick and people have probably always been telling him everything he wants to hear since he was 11 years old. And so now it's just kind of hard to get to him. But it's like, if you could just see someone like in their infancy, like if you see someone that has talent in an athletic field, if you can give them better politics, I think it could be really useful. But I don't know. I mean, that's why I was spent a year obsessed with the idea of actually getting Cardi B to stop endorsing Joe Biden and to take a stand after a... Bernie dropped out, but you know, I can't get anybody to give me her number. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I was alluding to this, and I'm mostly joking because I don't think that Kanye is in any state to be a rational, no, absolutely, voice not. piece for Kanye, any worldview, yeah, right? But, yeah. but like, there is a world. I mean, like before he had, was having his full break breakdown, there was a world where you know a lot of people say left leaning things, like take Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan saying that he um, would uh, and you know, would would vote for Bernie, given the influence yeah. that he has. If I were running the Bernie campaign, I would have said you have to, you have to talk to him. Like, you can't just get him just, in a room just, with Bernie. Like outside of the podcast, make sure that they're in a relationship. Make sure there's someone around who can answer Joe Rogan's questions. Suggest other people to go on his show and to continue to talk to him and books he could read and things that he could he could be informed about. Try to get. Um, p- politicians who are supportive of Bernie Sanders, like Ro Khanna or whatever, who understand the politics. I know, I know, grain of salt. In into the room and on the show to continue the dialogue. Have someone who can push back against any kind of like misunderstandings arise on the show, or any guests who say like, actually, socialism is bad because blah blah blah. Venezuela have talking points ready. Like, really cultivate him and push him left. But the leftists, I said this. I think I said this in the podcast or maybe this morning on Rising, but. Leftists are allergic to someone who agrees with them. Not all of us, obviously, but you know, there's this cohort of 
there's this kind of policing that can happen where it's like one true Scotsman and they don't see these opportunities. Meanwhile, let a conservative, let, like, let, let someone say uh, half a point that vaguely aligns with something a conservative once thought. And they'll be catering a $200 a plate banquet <laughs> talking about, come on over. The water is warm. It's great to be a conservative. And they cultivate folks and they, and they, they bring them over. And when you're, I'm telling you guys this, you feel it. You feel the warmth coming from one direction and the icy frigidness coming from the other direction. I experience it. I went to Robbie and I, they had as co-host the Hill wanted us to be like the like speakers at this award ceremony they gave. It's called the um, millennial action. I don't know something about like working across the aisle and moderates and blah, 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 blah. And so we give our little chat and a bunch of people come up to us afterwards saying, Oh, I love the idea of the show. And you guys have been from two different political positions and da, 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 da. And, and several people there had been on the, in the, in this call in and they knew us from various places and all of the conservatives there, it was like a, it was a centrist crowd. Right. So to me, everybody's like to my right. Um, all of, the, all of the conservative types there who knew me came up to me and they all said every single one of them, they liked me because I was willing to sit in a room with Glenn Lowry. That's the bar. I was willing to engage in a conversation with Glenn Lowry without, I guess, like punching him. And for that, they were willing to subscribe to the show and listen to me and they want to be around me. Meanwhile, members of DSA People I worked with on the Bernie campaign are out here doing Reddit screeds about how I'm a horrible grifter witch, <laughs> you know, because we disagreed about force the vote. And that's a difference. And, and over time, that starts to affect the trajectory that people, not me, because, you know, I'm a real one, but it, it, it affects who you end up. Like, I literally cannot, like, I know that if I went to a DSA meeting, it would be like more hostile than if I went to some random Fed, FedSoc meeting. And I know because the one time I tried to log into the DSA Slack, there was a thread going on where they were making fun of me before I got there. <laughs> it's it's like that, and that that has an effect. So like, even when people don't agree with you, it's worth it to be nice and try to convince them. Like you never know who's hearing the argument. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I don't know. It's. I don't know if the saying that you attract more flies with sugar than salt or something like that, but you know, mm -hmm. that's the only way we're going to grow as a left. Yeah. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm concerned because they are rolling out the red carpet. The conservatives are, and you see the, them the athletes, man, like, I just, I just see the potential. Like, yeah, the, the LeBron thing, the, the potential of the NBA strike was huge. And I think that, People recognize that, and that's why they sent in the big guns in Obama. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Yeah. And yeah, that's all like, I say. There's, there's only so many LeBrons, you, and you want LeBron to know his power. I will say eventually, I mean, they if, if LeBron is a significant enough threat, even him being LeBron isn't worth it. They'll still get rid of him. But it I would mean, take a lot. I more. mean, now, yeah. But like in his peak, or not, LeBron. I was just like someone with that big of a zeitgeist. I just feel like there's just so much potential there. But yeah, I mean, I you're agree. probably right. 
I agree, but it's a lot to, oh, I see someone in the chat talking about the 10 million dead in the Congo. That's so funny. I was just talking about that. Um, the guy I'm dating and we were getting ourselves all worked up about it. Cause you're right. Nobody gives a shit about this stuff. People don't even know. Like it was like half the country, like slaughtered literally half the country. And like, we don't even know. And it's like, it's not about like hierarchies of oppression or what bad thing happened that was worse. But I do sometimes think it's like, there's no rationale, you know, there's no rationale for why we don't think all like so many of these things are so terrible. Why aren't we speaking in hollowed, hushed tones as we probably should be about that genocide and talking about Belgians, fucking Belgians, like Nazis. <laughs> I can't be a little glib, but you know, like this, this is, this is, this is an almost inconceivable atrocity. And, you know, maybe someone needs to make a movie about it and people will care. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for calling in. I'm just, I'm spiraling now, Brian. Let me go back in those chats and pull up Andres. What's in your mind, Andres? Hi there. Can you hear me? Hi. What's on? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. Ah, well, uh, thanks for for choosing me. I I'm a first time call, caller, I guess, but I've been listening to you. You're my favorite person to listen to, uh, oh. and I think since the Bernie campaign, you're carrying the spirit of it. So I I'm just really happy to be talking to you. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um and. I'm here to talk about anti-Semitism because it's so much fun. Uh, I just hear people talking about it a lot, and I feel like we don't really. I don't. I feel like a lot of people don't even understand it. Like probably people don't understand racism. I mean, if it's not happening to you, you don't sure. understand it as well as someone who it's happening to. Sure. Um, so hold on a second. I gotta take a breath. Okay. Take your time. I'm just excited to be talking with you <laughs> and about this. Um, so, yeah, so there's a few things that I was thinking about when I listened. And I, I thought the conversation today was great. Um, as usual, I felt like you dealt with the issue in a very thoughtful and nuanced way and also very clearly have your opinion, which is something you do really well, I think. Um, so... And I want to just say for myself, I can't, I don't, clearly I can't represent all Jews. Um, my experience is unique like anyone else's, but I have spent a lot of time thinking about how to talk and think about anti-Semitism because I feel like it's really, really misunderstood by Jews, by a lot of Jews as well as non-Jews. Right, I'm, I'm just letting you know. I'm fully labeling you the jaw rule of the Jewish people. Whatever you say goes. So <laughs> well, <laughs> make sure you get your words that right. Would be, that would be really that would be really wrong. Uh, to give you a little bit of like how like one thing that's unique about me, uh, mm -hmm. I grew up in a family where my my grandfather emigrated from Russia and he was a communist Jewish lawyer, and he came here and worked as a lawyer for. Uh, well, he was one of the on the team that defended the Scottsboro boys. Mm. And so and then that led to my grandfather being called before HUAC. And just that is not an experience that 
Uh, I think a lot of what you're talking about when you're talking about the Jewish response to anti-Semitism or to racism, because of my background, I'm sort of, I'm not, I wouldn't say unique, everyone's unique, um, but I, I grew up in a soup that was thinking about communism and racism and Jewishness uh, at a very young age. And so mm -hmm. it's just something that, I, I don't think that's common across the board anywhere in America. Like about, we don't think well about communism, we don't think well about racism, and we don't think well about anti-Semitism in general. So, mm -hmm. um, and everything that I say, I, I don't want it to contradict all of your critique of how faulty our response to racism is. All of that is absolutely, I'm in total agreement with. The part that I feel like is missing is the point of view of, um, of a Jewish person who sees anti-Semitism everywhere uh, mm -hmm. and sees it all the time not being called out. And, the, and sort of like what you said, unless you use the N-word, it's not racism, unless there's a swastika or someone's muddying the water <clears throat> in a conversation about Israel, it's not anti-Semitism. Uh, in my experience, trying to point out anti-Semitism when it shows up, microaggressions and such, mm. it will only get you fired. <laughs> um, Interesting. So can you, can you give us some, some, I don't want to put you on the spot, like, yeah, pull yeah. up some example, but can you, can you give us some examples? Oh, I could give you, so I can give you examples on the larger, on the, on the large scale, or I could give you personal experience kind of things. I, so on Either the, both. well, Bernie Sanders was a really good example. The mm -hmm. amount the overwhelming amount of anti-Semitism that got directed at him, that mm -hmm. some of it got called out, but the majority of it did not, even from his supporters. Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the Jewish caricatures mm -hmm. uh, that were, you know, like, like Larry the David doing Bernie expert, Sanders. The, oh, that just... the epaulets the, with the house, houses on his shoulders and the money tree and the Economist article. All of it. I mean, just the way, yeah, it, there was just something, he, there was a part of the caricature that he played into, just that anti-Semitism wasn't a constant conversation around that, the way that clearly racism was a conversation around Obama. It had mm -hmm. to be, because it's natural that it was. I don't feel like that was at all the case. He was not Jewish. Like, he was not Jewish, but he was the target of constant anti-Semitism. And it's, it was painful to, to experience, to watch and experience. Um, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I feel like the campaign against Woody Allen, uh, he's, uh, whether or not, whatever you think about what he has done or didn't do, the fact that probably the most prominent Jew in America has been, that this conversation is going on and it's full again of anti-Semitic tropes, and it never gets addressed as anti-Semitism. Or even it's like a conversation, like it should be, you know, if again, someone can be very guilty. Well, uh, so let me back up. Does that make sense? What uh, I'm saying? You had me up until what he <laughs> I gotta say. Well, that's what I'm, but it's easy to hate. That's what I'm, if you, if, there, no, no, if it's no, no, easy no. to hate someone. Not 
hey, you gotta wonder. It's easy to be critical of someone who marries their girlfriend's daughter. Well, I guess I, I've always I believe that we listen to what she says, to what Sun Yi no, no, no. says. Remember, yeah. I, I'm not yeah. even bringing Dylan or any of those accusations into it. The, yeah. But factually, what we know is that he is married to Mia Farrow's daughter. He was dating so, Mia well, Farrow. Again, that's. But that's, yeah, I mean, that's not that's, disputed. That's just well, no, well. Situation. I guess it's well. Again, it's it's. Uh, we he, could, was, he was dating Mia Farrow. Yeah. He had a child with Mia Farrow. He yes. And Sunni was a minor for a good part of that relationship, and then at a certain point, uh, Mia Farrow discovered nude pictures of Sunni in his possession, and they broke up. And then he married Sunni. That's yes. just the that's just the timeline. That's just what happened. And so even and, if even if they technically never were together when she was a child, many people find that to be a breach of social etiquette to okay. marry Ab- the person Absolutely. who was a child to you because they were your girlfriend's daughter and the mother of your child's Ab- daughter. Absolutely. Hey, I, I there there are there is a spin that is put on that by leaving out Sun Yi's point of view and how she would tell that story, uh, which I think is, that's, if you have to, and, and, uh, but even leaving that out, the fact of the most, the fact that he is such a prominent Jew and the target of so much hatred, like though people will say he married his daughter, that's not true, but that's out there all the time. And he, whether or not you believe that he's, that you think that's creepy or you think he's a good guy or a bad guy, the fact of someone so prominently Jewish being constantly denigrated in some ways that are very untrue uh, and full of anti-Semitic tropes, that anti-Semitism is never in the conversation is... Just, I want to push back on the idea that I think there is all we ever do is respond to anti-Semitism, but we never respond to racism because I agree that we, our response to racism is woefully inadequate. And as a Jewish person, I don't have the experience that every time anti-Semitism gets pointed out, people are like, yeah, goddamn, we should do something about that. Only in certain cases. Um, and Kanye is a, is a, perfect target for everything that David Chappelle said about Kanye was was great and true and I supported it and it was also full of anti-semitic tropes and I don't hold comedians accountable for I think being funny is the main thing and raising great conversations is the thing so I don't believe in cancellation but there is something I just want you to I I hope I want to help you or anyone who's listening see that anti-Semitism is all around you if you're Jewish, just like sexism is all around you if you're a woman, because you have to be on guard for it and all the time, because it's there. And I don't think you see it if you're a man a lot of times, and mm-hmm. I don't think people see it if they're not Jewish. Yeah. You know? Yeah, So for sure. I think there's you know, you, a lot of, look, even when someone does something bad, it doesn't mean that they're can't be additional coded stuff in there. So like I I think there's probably something to you know 
Mia Farrow being perceived in Hollywood as kind of a, you know, chicks a princess and Woody Allen being perceived differently and how the media, how the story unfolded. I do think that there are misunderstandings. I think that Woody Allen was wrong, <laughs> but I think there are embellishments to the story that people have added over the years. And I think that that is true. And I think that some of that probably has to do with Woody Allen's Jewishness is general aesthetic as compared to Mia Farrow putting her on a pedestal, all of this kind of stuff. So I, I think that's completely true. I think there's, we could have probably used some other examples that were better. I don't always, I, I think it's important to talk. Allen. I think it's really important to talk and to talk about Woody Allen because of exactly that. But what I, I'll do, I don't want to get bogged down there. What I would say is we should be listening to all of the children. Moses has, Pharaoh has things to say, Sunni has yeah, things to say. Yeah, I think that Mia Farrow also not, seems It's not bad. about Woody or Mia at all. I think yeah, I we think, should I think Mia Farrow also seems the, bad. Yeah. The, which, is it Moses, is Moses the Asian, Asian boy kid? Yeah, he's a child, he's a psychologist now who works with adoptees yeah. and the trauma of adoption. And I think the, he's a the, very... Their adoption stuff is deeply troubling. The, the way that Mia Farrow dealt with those kids... Huge red flags, and I feel oh, the transracial adoption aspect of this whole conversation is a whole other thing as well. Those yeah, kids went yeah. Through it. So I, I want to go back to talking about anti-Semitism, but I think it's important. Just like I think it's important to talk about the unpopular people in that you can't talk about in, and I think that's part of. But anyway, we can we can move on from that. Mm -hmm. um, I I yes. think the idea, the main thing, it's important is the idea that. As a Jewish person, the idea that people get that whatever you are, you're good, and if there's an oppression that has historically attacked whatever you are, you don't get a day off from it. And that includes Jewish being Jewish. And I think it's, I think it's important for all of us to try and understand, if we care, to try and understand where to listen to people when they say something crazy like, the attacks against Woody Allen are really anti-Semitic and it hurts me as a Jew to see it happen all the time and no one ever say, hey, whatever you think, this guy's Jewish and you should maybe figure about the way you talk about him because it doesn't just hurt him, it hurts everyone on, who reads dude, it. Like if, yeah. if I parsed everything, or, everyone let's say Bernie Sanders. Cosby. Let's just talk about Bernie minute, Sanders. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If I parsed everything everyone ever said about Bill Cosby, I agree. I'm sure I could find I, someone saying some things that are anti-black, but I promise you that's like so down, far down on my list of concerns. I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think of Bill Cosby and Woody Allen as being synonymous, but I would Wait, say... Wait, why not? This is going, They're both? Oh, well, because not, you're saying because that you don't think is, that Woody Allen is actually a sexual predator. I don't think so. No, I don't think... the the law Legally, he's not, and the case that is trotted out against him over and over is... It just lacks nuance and doesn't include the testimony of any but the white pharaoh kids, which seems like a weirdly, just the whole thing seems very white supremacy, supremacisty that you got all this, half the family's white and then the Jewish, Asian, non-white part of the family is just left out of the story. That's really problematic on a bunch of other levels and that never gets brought up. You know, and that's... So, but even taking Woody Allen out of it, the, the anti-Semitic attacks against Bernie Sanders and then not being addressed, 
hurts every Jew yeah. who sees it, who has the receptors to know what's what they're really saying and what nobody's calling out, right? That's forget about Woody Allen. We've done that, but the point Happily. that we're talking about, like with Kanye, and the response, like I think the response to him is dumb. Um, it doesn't really address anti-Semitism. It's just more dumb outrage. So I agree that the, you know, I mean, there's things to be outraged about what he says, but I don't think that it's use, it helps anyone. I don't think it makes it like what, what was great that was going on on your show was it uh, your guest uh, kept saying we, we, we could be having a better conversation. We could be having a higher, more nuanced, more thoughtful conversation, which I, that I 100% agree with. Um, and also yeah. to say, I would, I have a hard time critiquing uh, black celebrities. I don't like whether it's Bill Cosby or Kanye West, even when they're, or when they're saying things that I disagree with, I just feel like I agree that we live in a white supremacist society and someone who with, I don't consider being Jewish makes me white, but with all the privileges of white privilege that I have, that it's, it's useful for me to say, Bill Cosby sucks. There's plenty of people to say that without my help. There's plenty of people to say Kanye sucks for saying this without my help or my contribution to it. I just, that was something that was brought up on your show. Like, why aren't more Jews speaking out when Kanye says bad things about black people? It's like, I would feel really uncomfortable calling out Kanye West for something he says about that I don't understand yeah, about something honest, within his own community. I'm, I'm not looking, I'm not looking for white validation or any non-black validation for Kanye saying slavery was a choice. I'm like, I felt personally like that was an in-group conversation and I wasn't looking for anybody else's opinion. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't looking for white jaw rule <laughs> to weigh in <laughs> on that one, which is why I just don't understand. I don't understand the instinct in the reverse. You know what I mean? Like I, I mean, I guess it's different. I mean, it is, it's different because um, you know, Kanye talking about, you know, saying anti-Semitic things is not an in-group conversation anymore. So I, I understand that's different, but like there are things that happen. I don't know, man. I just, I, I don't, I think for one, I think you can take that to a, like a weird place. I think you're perfectly allowed to say uh, Bill Cosby raped a bunch of people and that was very bad. I, I don't think that anyone should hesitate saying that. I do think there's a way that people can selectively harp on some bad actors and not other bad actors in a way that starts to feel like you have an agenda. Um, yeah. The way that, you know, Fox News or whatever puts every black person in every committed crime up there and never never wants to talk about white cops shooting people and black and white people committing crimes and things like that. I think that's, like, fair and to be conscious of your kind of ratios in that way. But, like... I'm not going to not do Sam Bankman Freed stories because it's like anti-Semitic to talk about the crook of the year. Oh, no, <laughs> you know no. I, mean? I, I think I think there's a that's why I said celebrities. Like I have no problem critiquing uh, Jim Clyburn or Barack mm -hmm. Obama, mm -hmm. like people who have genuine power and are doing are actually doing things that to, that to be critiqued. And of course, Bill Cosby did things that to be critiqued. Um, yeah, just, like all the rapes. I, I yes, I also, but I also feel like there's something gleeful. Uh, there's a, just because you're guilty doesn't mean you can't be a scapegoat. And I feel like the impulse to hate Bill Cosby 
for a lot of white people is too conveniently. It fit just like the hatred of Woody Allen, and I don't like to put them together because one is a convicted multiple rapist and the other one is part of a very weird and dysfunctional situation and probably played some shitty roles in it. But, uh, but you don't have to be anti-Semitic to judge Woody Allen, but if you are anti-Semitic, it's more fun. And I feel like the same thing with criticizing, like bringing up Bill Cosby all the time. If you're a white guy who brings up Bill Cosby all the time as the only rapist you ever talk about, there's probably a, something going on. Yeah. You know, if you're, if I don't want to only say Bill Cosby and never say <laughs> Weinstein, then I'm looking at you at the side of my yeah. eye. Yeah. But I also yeah. think if you're only talking about the, the black criminals and the Jewish criminals, we're, we're fulfilling the role that this, all of this really functions. And it goes to the ultimate, I think your ultimate thesis that I see you putting out there, which is that we should be working together and thinking about how to have the difficult conversations because they get less difficult when you have them and then you can build real solidarity. <laughs> That's not where I thought and, you were going. I thought you were going to say, we've got to talk about the Goy criminals. We've got to talk well, about I, Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> I just think we should not let ourselves just, I mean, we, Joe Biden is the great, is, as you just said earlier, Joe Biden is an incredible racist and his, the, the blood on his hands is so epic. And we don't talk like he's wet. He's wet. The appetite to punish Weinstein or Cosby is so much greater than the appetite to hold Joe Biden accountable. And that Mm -hmm. is the role of a scapegoat is Mm -hmm. to distract us and focus on show trials and people of moderate success, not even power. These are people, these, Bill Cosby does not have, he had power over the people he was doing stuff to, but he doesn't have real institutional power. Harvey Weinstein was an agent. He's a middleman for real power. Um, so that's what I mean when they, like, getting caught up in the scapegoating instead of focusing on I mean, where genuine well, I power would argue lies. that both Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby had a great deal of actual power. Harvey Weinstein wasn't just an agent. He was one of the biggest producers in Hollywood. So many careers yeah, uh, went through him. That's why he was able to exploit so many women because he could, in fact, end their careers if they didn't submit to his sexual advances. Which is why he should be in jail. And he's a, like, he's a, yeah. Yes. He was terrible to every, like, I work in that industry. And yes, he's a, like, he is, he was terrible and not uniquely terrible. And again, that's the other part of the, the function of the scapegoat is let's focus all of our attention on one really bad actor instead of the system mm-hmm. that, you know, that allowed that to just like it was that kind of behavior was just all over the place and made it. And uh, I don't even know if it's still like I don't know that it isn't still like that in, in, in a lot of different ways, but it's certainly not that way. I guess the, the the point of what is a scapegoat and what does it do? Like, yes, Harvey Weinstein's terrible, but that doesn't mean that he's also not a scapegoat, which is distracting us from larger issues. And he's a convenient scapegoat because he is a big, ugly Jewish man, um, well, as opposed not, to well, Mel Gibson. I'm not, I'm not trying to body you shame know? Weinstein. That's not my beef with him. 
I, well, yeah, but I I'm struggling. Look, I'm going to say, Andres, I got to move on to the other callers. But okay, I'm, thank I you. am struggling with the idea of him being a scapegoat. Seems to me calling him a scapegoat. I'm uncomfortable with the idea that it it feels. I don't think this is your intention, but it feels a little like trying to shift responsibility off of the many, many again rapes. The rapes. No, no, bad. no, not he is. Absolutely. He, I, that, but well, that I, but I, I get your point, Andre, Andres. I, I don't want to keep belaboring this point, but I appreciate you okay. calling in, and, and I'm going to well, try to thank, get to people. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you for, I, I hope you call back. Me and I will absolutely, and I just yeah, thanks for everything you do. I really, I totally support your, your work 100%. Uh, of course. Now I'm going to go to Jonathan. Jonathan, I know we tend to be kind of long-winded, but we're at two hours, and the, there's so many people I want to get to, so I would just ask everyone to try to keep it a little bit more brief. But what's in your mind, Jonathan? Well, Jean-Paul Sartre was in a cafe in Paris, which <laughs> French authors do, and he's, like, looking around, musing around his surroundings, and he notices this waiter who's, like, just too waitery. He, the brusqueness of his step, the way he trims his mustache, the way he leans into the order. I don't know, whatever it is, it's getting on his nerves. And this, like, it's, it's effect, his facticity is how it's translated. It's a fact of his existence that he's, it's not just what he is, it's who he is. He's not just a waiter, he is waiter. And he lays it on so thick, you could mistake it for parody, you know, but it's not parody, it, it, it's pastiche, because parody is done with a kind of ironic distance, like a satire, but pastiche is more of an invocation, you becoming the thing. It, <laughs> hi, Bide, how you doing? Like, uh, Eminem is pastiche, he, he invokes the thing, he's like, I use black music so shellfishly and use it to get myself wealthy. He makes no qualms about it, right? But for Sartre, this is a, a problem because his philosophy is sometimes called transcendentalism. And that, that which you're not transcending is this facticity. It's, your, it's this identity. Your identity is very often imbued, imposed even, by power, by capital. The inability to transcend your identity is a kind of affliction that he gives a name to when he coins the phrase bad faith. Bad faith has come to mean something a little more than being a sophist now. But the etymology of bad faith is this particular problem where you're sort of stuck looking and even thinking your thoughts all with the premise as a blank, fill in your identity here. Like you can't think outside of the box of your imbued identity. And when I think about, like, all existentialism is existence precedes essence. Your existence is your mind, your brain matter, abstracts things, like, from you abstract from all the waiters what waiterness is, and that comes after. But when that becomes your whole existence, it's going backwards. And when I was, like, a teacher, I was looking at the 12-year-old uh, black kids in my 8th grade class, what they think blackness is is pure capitalism. It's got nothing to do with history. It's got nothing to do with Africa. It's it's just, it's all about, it's it, their identity has been, it's white crafted, white sponsored, and white marketed. It's like what it means and what issues become important to you is all, if you're, if you're thinking about identity from the point of view of identity, you're hamstrung. It's bad, it's bad faith. That's what bad faith means. It's just a deeply ironic the way some of these conversations go, because universalism is the only thing that is dangerous to the oligarch. Identity is not only not dangerous to the oligarch, it's very much the opposite. Universalism got 
Martin Luther uh, King killed, it got Malcolm X killed, and it got Bobby Kennedy killed. When uh, Malcolm X came back from Mecca, stopped preaching segregation, said he broke bread with his blonde, blue-eyed brothers, and went into universalist programs, he was killed. When Martin Luther King started talking to communist groups, talking about how it's going to cost billions of dollars to not just tear down Confederate statues, but to put in programs, universal programs that, yes, also lift up Appalachian whites, his words, not mine, he was killed. When Bobby Kennedy goes to support Cesar Chavez, multi-ethnic, class-based analysis, nominally white and black, but mostly Guatemalan, Filipino, Mexican, orange pickers in California, he was killed. That's what's dangerous to the oligarch, is the opposite of identity. They love this shit. Jonathan? Jonathan? Trail. What the actual fuck are, are you saying? <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. I'm so sorry, Jonathan. No, that, was, yeah, no, that was a good one. <laughs> um, I hear what you're saying. It's the identity politics critique, focusing on this stuff, the stuff that divides. They're happy when we finally figure out how to talk about the unifying things. They get mad. It's threatening, and they kill us. I, I'm, I'm totally here with you on that, Jonathan. Are you saying that I shouldn't have done this episode? I know that that's your critique many no, times no. whenever I do episodes like this. I respect that critique, um, but I feel differently. So here it's we are. It's more pass. like the how. I'm sorry? It's less the what than the how. It's, I don't know. It's just like identity has always been a way to make people more the same so it's easier to sell things to them. And even your identity, even class identity can be weaponed when it puts you into a group and then tells that group what to think. And all of a sudden you can't think other than what you're told to think outside of that group. It's more, it's a marketing ploy. It's, it's just mm -hmm. doesn't want you to be able to think for yourself. And mm -hmm. that's what they saw when they sponsored the squad. You know, like I have to double down on what I, you and Jonathan last time were like, oh, I was totally taken aback by not forced to vote. It's like, well, I wasn't like what mm -hmm. I never saw. Think for, like what Jean-Paul Sartre thinks, what mean, what people like him mean when they say the word think is something different than what normal people mean when they say the word think. I know mm -hmm. how arrogant this sounds. I don't care anymore. I don't know how arrogant it sounds, but I'll stack up just my call-ins on this show against any body of work any squad members produce as evidence of thought, the voltage theory of economics. The I guess this is, this economics. is my issue, Jonathan. This is my issue. What, what, what do you think my response should be to you? And you're not the only one who says things like this, but there's a, there's a line of commentary that's very online that says, oh, you're surprised by that? I knew that the whole time. There's there a very specific kind of Twitter poster that says, if I, if I post, it's horrible what the squad did. With the real, real, real workers, the person comes and says, oh, are you surprised by the squad? If I say if I say once again, they've passed a historically large defense budget and they can't pass a, a Pentagon audit. If someone will say, oh, are you surprised? They never are able to pass the audit. And I'm like, oh, OK. What what what, how, what am I supposed to say to that? Congratulations. I'm sorry. There are people that to, to whom you could give power. You, you yourself have talked to many of them. I just, no, no, no. Uh, I These are not people. Ago. First of all, there is an implication that is frankly insulting that me announcing information that is newsworthy and opining about how I feel about it, i.e. that's a bad thing, is somehow me saying that I was ignorant 
of the likelihood of this outcome and that I am shocked and surprised. That is read into what I've said and is nowhere in what I have actually said. Moreover, it might occur to you that the reason why I was more hopeful about the squad is because I actually had more knowledge about the squad and was lied to and there were misrepresentations that were made specifically to me that gave me more hope than I might otherwise have had in a vacuum. Moreover, it's not clear to me that you are better or wiser to preemptively presume something is going to fail when there is no cost to letting it actually happen in a relatively short time frame. So again, I just want to know from you, what do you want from me? But, but beyond making me feel like I'm being lectured and patronized for apparently not being as wise and prescient as you are. The, the, the grammar of the question that you asked last time, you said we're not talking about us, but the grammar, when are we going to stop being surprised? The we in that sentence is us. It's not just Brianna Joy Gray. It's everybody in the room. And the answer to that question, when are we going to stop being surprised, is when you raise the bar of what's expected of the people to whom you're going to give power before you give it to them. And what I was going to say was there's people that you've talked to that do hurdle that bar. Three paragraphs from a guy named Eugene Puriera a few weeks ago. I was like, this guy gets it. Clara Mate gets it. Michael Hudson gets it. Uh, Pascal Robert gets it. Uh Dr. Steve King gets it. Yanavers Fakir gets it. He's not an American. But there are these sort of people to whom we give power because they have evidence of thought. So I don't understand what you want from me. Eugene has a show. Yanis Varoufakis has all the platforms in the world. To expect that. Clara has been on. I I interviewed Clara Mate today on Rising. It's a pre-tape. It's not going to come out until Christmas. But like literally today. So what is it that exactly that I I just I just want to know what the ask is. Because I don't understand what's happening right now. Claramate level of thought from the people to whom you're ready to give power is the ask. Okay, I didn't give anybody power. I don't live in any squad in this district. I'm not, wait a minute, wait a minute. Word you, I'm using the plural you. Not okay, then why are you talking to me about this? Because there's no plural in English for you except y'all, and it makes you sound like a yokel to say y'all all the time. Well, so I don't think it makes anyone sound like a yokel, yokel to use a Southern colloquialism, but I, you know. I, I'll just start saying y'all then. Okay, I'm going to do it. But I don't, I what, what, what are you saying? Are you saying, just say what you mean. Don't vote for squad members. Okay, guess what? You're not the only person in the chat who feels that way. Pretty much everyone feels that way in here. So again, what are you telling identity. people that they don't already know? That identity is what allowed those people into power in the first place. Like, no. Like they saw in those people knocked doors and turned out voters and got elected. AOC's district is a low turnout district. The person who she was running against phoned it in, didn't think she was a real threat. She hit the pavement, knocked doors, got about 16,000 people to vote for her, which is not that many, in a densely populated district, and now she's in Congress. When That's the story. That's it. It's not sophisticated. I'm sorry? AOC, she's... When Nancy Pelosi personally donated $14,000 of her own money to AOC, she saw in AOC somebody who was going to play ball, like who was going to fold, who doesn't get what they're, the point that they stand on. They all think they're generals and they've got a thick, you're like, oh, these people don't lack smarts. They lack integrity. Do they? Because integrity is like from their point of view and their principles, they have a lot of integrity. They think compromises are for you too. They think, oh, we got to think strategically to, before we deploy our power. But they, knowing that that's not where to deploy strategy means you don't know where you stand. Like you're the stra- It's the difference between strategy and tactics. Strategy is what goes into the bill and when it's brought to the floor. But once it's on the floor, 
You're not the general. You're just like the third spear from the left in a cavalry charge. And your job is to hit as hard as you can at every opportunity. Isn't every criticism of AOC in the squad that they didn't deploy the power that you gave them at every chance you, they could have? They just need to hit every time and vote their issue every time, vote their conscience every time. But they don't get that. I, again, Jonathan, I, I don't, I, I feel like I'm being, I, I, I don't really be mean to do this, but I feel like I'm being lectured with things that not only I know, but everyone in this chat knows and discusses on a regular basis. So I'm just trying to understand what it is exactly that you're trying to get across. What is the takeaway for us in this room collectively for what you're saying right now? Because if you, if your tone were different, I'd just be like, yeah, man, it sucks. I agree. We need to. Well, I'm always to told hold like, it's always on me when brevity comes. It's like you have to deploy time discipline, and it's always well, like no, it's not on you when brevity. But Jonathan, <laughs> you call in consistently. You're in the front of the queue. I feel like it's not fair for me to skip over you just because I, you're always in the front. So I skip around and do someone from the back and someone from the front. But you're always in the front, so you get called on regardless. And you we we persistently spend half an hour to 45 minutes of a three-hour call, just you and me going back and forth. So, yeah, I think at a certain point, I am going to start to demand more substance out of you if it's going to be that much time that ends up being taken away from the other callers. It's not that I'm trying to beat up on you or take it personally, but, like, you know, I, I want to know. I'm asking you. We've already spent now 20 minutes together, and all I'm trying to do is land the plane. I'm not trying to be difficult. But if you have this point that I really need to understand, I want to know it. I'm not hanging up on you. I'm not rushing you along. I'm begging you to help me understand what it is that I apparently am missing here. I did not mean it to be so personal. I was just uh, spending words bring me too quickly. It affects the tone. There's a show. It was about identity, and it's that thinking through the lens of it is a weakness and that the squad is evidence of that. That's, I guess that's it. Okay, so I, you know, I agree with the critique of identity politics. I have made it many times. I think it is a good one. I'm not entirely sure what the relationship is to the episode. Well, listening to the episode and all of the call in and all the whole episode wouldn't would see it. Anybody listening to it from the outside would think it's all from the point of view of identity. Every word. Okay, well, you can sit around trying to put together. Let me rephrase. I think that it is unwise to take the approach that so many white leftists do that says because identity shouldn't be the organizing purpose of this movement, identity doesn't matter because you have to meet people where they are. And when people have spent their whole lives being persecuted on the basis of their identity, judged in employment context, romantic context, housing application context, educational context, et cetera, on the basis of these immutable characteristics – then to look at them in the eye and tell them all of a sudden that that is irrelevant to their place in a movement when it has never been irrelevant to any place in their entire life is going to make you immediately untrustworthy. So if you want to take that approach, take that approach. But if you came into my house, I'm with the National Press Secretary for Bernie Sanders, and I am committed to this ideology. If you came into my house and started talking about how my blackness didn't matter, I wouldn't be very interested in what you had to say. I'm just I'm just being Last honest. Analysis with you. is racial. It's if if fifty percent more black people are homeless, then a housing program will house fifty percent more black people than white people. 
it's like class analysis is, is fundamentally racial to the proportion which that racism is, has got systemic fallout. And at, at sector by sector, that's true. It's It's got a weird timeless quality to it. Like if the Peruvians or whoever else found themselves on the bottom, then it would house them 50% more. Did I lose this? No, you're you're still here. My screen went blank, but I guess it's still on there. You're still here. Look, this is a whole other conversation that you know we've had before. So I'm I'm not gonna get into it again. I hear you acknowledging that race is a factor and that's good and appreciated. I think that frankly it's a matter of respect. The same way that if you were talking to someone who was, was of a religious background, you wouldn't bust into their house like the Kool-Aid man and tell them Christianity is the pits, Judaism is the pits, Islam is the pits, Buddhism is the pits. And now we're, we're just doing socialism now, kids. Get in the trunk. <laughs> you know what I mean? You would be respectful of their pre-existing beliefs and work with it. And people need to have that same respect for people's racial attitudes and only try to move and adjust where it's necessary to advance the broader cause. That's my feeling, and I respect if you feel differently. But I am cautioning you that you might not have very much luck, you know, treating some solidly held, you know, identity categories that are meaningful to people. People's religion means something to them. People's race means something to them. Walking around saying your little, not you, but saying one sociology 101 phrase about how race is a social contract is disrespectful. You wouldn't go up to someone and say, your Christianity is a social construct. Your Judaism is a social construct. That's what this whole episode was about. About how, how to me, an unknowledgeable goy, the idea of saying I'm Jewish too seems relatively innocuous out of context. But it, these things mean something to people. And you have to respect it even if you don't understand it or agree with it if you want folks to respect you back enough to be a part of your movement. That's all I'm saying. I uh, agree. And I uh, take your point. I I went down the track is that it was about identity and the guy who invented the phrase bad faith. I had something to say about identity and that's why. It started <laughs> Look, I appreciate it. You're, you're edifying. And you know, there is something very poetic about the way that you start rapping at the beginning of the comments. So I hope you're not discouraged, Jonathan, and I'm sure we will meet again on Monday. Okay. <laughs> Keep the faith, my friend. All right. Uh, there was a girl back here. Okay. Maria with a cat. Cat picture. What's on your mind tonight, Maria? Maria, can you unmute yourself? Did I catch you off guard? I hear something. I hear something. Oh, I just hear my, I heard my own echo back. Oh, okay. I'm not sure where she went. Maria, get back in line and I'll try to find you. Jam, what's on your mind tonight? Going on, Bree. It's good. You know, same old, same old. (laughs) Yeah, I see y'all here spinning that flame. (laughs) Bringing the heat. I'm sorry, guys. It's late. I've had eight hours of sleep in the last two days, and I had a beer. I'm also I, I moved my equipment into my bedroom, so I'm fully reclined for this one. So I'm feeling really like in the pocket. You know what I mean? 
I'm so glad you was able to get um, Mark Lamont Hill. He's one of my favorite uh, commentators, and it was really, mm. uh, really cool to hear you uh, guys. Um, you guys uh, talk all like his book was really good too. Um, Nobody, if you haven't read it, I should read be, that um, should change your, uh, pick up. Yeah, he wrote it after the stuff that was going on in Ferguson. Mm. But um, this episode was uh, was really cool. Like um, I like that you guys spoke on like the power dynamic of like canceling. Like I had a podcast um, like episode I did uh, on the same same kind of like similar issue about is like how does cancel culture actually like affect like black people. You know, like, cause like, it seems like it's a, it's a disproportionate amount of, uh, of power when it comes to it, you know, but another I think thing, that's, a, that's an feel, interesting thought. Is yeah, it, do we think that it's true that, I mean, like, so take, for example, the Twitter files, there is mm-hmm. concern that we're only selectively hearing about conservatives who have been deplatformed. But also, when we're talking about these things, we're talking about the FBI and the conservatives suddenly being mad about the FBI. There is a way that the conversation skips over the plurality of folks who have been marginalized by these institutions who are mm-hmm. historically marginalized groups. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm curious how much of that, like numbers wise, do you think that more, you know, more marginalized people are actually being canceled, but we're only hearing about like the Yale professor who leaves their job to start a Substack? That's just an interesting yeah. question. I, I definitely, I definitely like believe so. And just like how, and like Mark even kind of like admitted it in his like his his like um in his comparison when he tried to bring up uh, Takashi Six Nine, right? Mm-hmm. Like even like even with bringing with bringing him up, he still like conceded that like it's not he is not like getting canceled like the same, you know? Like it's still like he's just sure like he Takashi's not gonna be able to um. He's not going to be able to have a same like cachet like in the hood and shit, mm-hmm. but like he's still able, you know, like to participate in in um in, like modern culture and like society and everything. I feel like if it's if it's like an aggression towards more so towards like accepted white culture, then or or when white culture gets or when white mainstream culture gets more on like the bag bandwagon or something, it becomes more immediate and like it gets disseminated through the rest of cultures, you know, like to cancel like a certain person or like to be upset, you know, about it, like a certain, like a certain person. Like I like to bring up, um, like I spoke about in that episode was like R. Kelly, like mm-hmm. the black community known about R. Kelly, like for a long time, but it wasn't until that, um, wasn't until that, um, documentary had came out. When it start becoming more like a mainstream culture, then did he actually, you know, did he actually mm. go down? Mm-hmm. You know, like so, like thing, we could, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, well, yeah, it's not like where we can do do like and can complain and like bring up and bring up stuff, but like if it's if it's not affecting um, white mainstream culture in the same yeah. way, it's not going to be an issue. Like same thing happened with, like with um, like remember what, like not too long ago, like Doja Cat got into some trouble. For like it was supposed to be like being in like some like um white supremacist like chat room shit like that right, oh, but then right really afterwards, cool. yeah, then right afterwards like the, her little say so challenge like the say so challenge came up like it's associated with her song and all that shit you know got like swept under the rug, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah I so mean, like, the stuff about we supported and did we call out enough and stuff. I think it's the R. Kelly example is interesting because I do think that black people were actually more on the R. Kelly criticism beat for a long time, even though he definitely mm-hmm. has his defenders. But like if I take myself as an example, my behavior 
in terms of like my externalized behavior or what, what someone could mm-hmm. perceive about <clears throat> me and my attitudes to R. Kelly before and after the allegations, nothing has changed. And it's not because sure. I'm indifferent to what he has done. It's because mm. I was not buying R. Kelly anything before that. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. There's nothing to change. What does it mean for me to hold me, just a regular person, to hold R. Kelly accountable? I'm not mm. buying albums. As far as I understand it, R. Kelly doesn't have merch. I wasn't going to R. Kelly concerts before. Mm. You know, do I what have do some think? 2007 era playlists that probably have ignition on them? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but that's not like I'm not monetizing. You know, there's nothing externalized about, you know, nothing's changed except for now when that plate, that song is in the playlist, I next it. Mm-hmm. So, so what I does think... it mean oh, to, for an, an average person who doesn't have power, doesn't even have purchasing power, really, to affect mm-hmm. an outcome? I think um, I think somebody he um, where he was trying a part that he, he and other people that came up in the chat was like trying trying to say where where um where say like um when they bring it like we will still support i don't think they they mean it necessarily that um like we as a community like fully support i think it's more so that we as a, as a community can still like we we still allow the person to be within like certain conversations you know we still allow we're still allowed to talk about the person within within our community but when like somebody's being canceled man most so like mainstream it's like it's it's like a taboo to even talk about that person. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they think. That's what what people um, talk about when they say, you know, like we still like um, you know, like support or we we not fully like against the person. It's because of that. So like before, like before, you know, R. Kelly became in like mainstream, uh, became more so in the mainstream like discourse. And it was like people still talking about him. It wasn't like a taboo until he did. You know. Yeah, and people in the chat are like. I, I kind of also agree with this. I'm going to be really, really honest. It depends on my community. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't play R. Kelly out loud in front of strangers. However, mm-hmm. if I were with my college friends with whom I listened to R. Kelly at a time on our lives and uh, I'm a flirt or whatever comes on, <laughs> we'll look at each other. We're going to acknowledge that R. Kelly is a bad man. Mm-hmm. And then we're, I mean, there is I a feel, likelihood of just continued singing. I you know, and, you know, and because I mean, I've done we did a Swody episode about this and the ethics of consuming the products of the people who are bad and what our obligations mm-hmm. are and does it really matter if we're not actually giving them money and you know to what extent do they own our memory? That's like the Cosby Show. Like, I love the Cosby yeah, that's, Show. That, came that up. sucks. Yeah, like, that I'm not supposed to care about that. Like, if I had a child. Mm-hmm. Like there's just like we're not supposed to watch a different world, like we're not. Mm. I, I was Rudy. Every time I left the house mm-hmm. between the years 1985 and 1995, somebody said, "Oh look, there goes Rudy," mm. <laughs> and I'm yeah, supposed like, to just I, like I just, not. I'm supposed to forget about yeah. all of that. Yeah, like um, like that came up. When I said I had a podcast like episode that came up within the conversation too, talking about that like allowing us to have the space to look at look at the work you know separating it like from from the person especially with the cultural significance of it you know like but, but this this the real i feel like i've been saying this a lot with you lately like, this is gonna have to be like real like black ass like conversation mm-hmm. um i to be honest 
I've been feeling like real like upset about a lot of people and like how a lot of like this shit's been going on around Kanye because mm. shit been feeling kind of gross to me. Like we as a as we trying to like move forward like as a community and trying to take like mental health and shit stuff like seriously. And but like when we talk about like Kanye, that's always like in like in the background. You know, that's never really like put up like that's not really that's not really put up like to very like color like the conversations. And I'm, I feel like it's really gross how he's keep getting put out, you know, like in front of people, and and everything's kind of like he's being like paraded, like Matt, like you know, he's like being like brought out, like on um, put like just on a platform, of people just to uh, yell and make fun of him. Like, I'm not excusing, not like the bullshit mm-hmm. that he's saying, like just mm-hmm. to, just to be clear, like his own bull, bullshit. But it like it makes me upset because like we're not we're, we're not taking it serious, like he has an actual like mental illness. So I, I hate like people on the left, like keep keep on like pushing narratives, like take mental uh, uh, health, you know, like seriously and everything. But we will do like dog pile on, like no, or like on him with it. Like it's not, it's not like we not like you know, it's just not a part, big enough part of the conversation. Like uh, in, in my opinion, like I said, it's not to excuse not like the fuck shit he like he been he been on, but to not have that color, not to have that like color like the conversation. I feel like that that's that kind of feel kind of like gross to me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult because it as we haven't figured out as a society how to talk about um, you know, contributory negligence. <laughs> like how to talk about mm. what what it means when many factors are at play. Yeah. Uh, you know, even when even when it's hard because things get politicized in a certain way too. So like a gunman shoots a bunch of people. Um mm-hmm. It's racially motivated, let's say, religiously motivated, whatever it is. And it is, I think it is completely true that you got to be kind of crazy to do something like that. And the incidence of mental illness, diagnosed yeah. with mental illness and dissocial disorder in jails is like damn near 100%. So, like, mm-hmm. I think that is true, but people feel as though it, some, it, it negates, it can't rest easily alongside the reality that they're also being a kind of bias that's specific to the person and separate and apart from the part that made them want to just kill people more generally speaking. And it's Mm -hmm. unfortunate because if, you know, if you bring up mental illness after a killing, that's kind of a, it's perceived as a right wing deflection from gun rights, uh, sorry, gun um, legislation. Mm -hmm. And if you bring up the race part, you know, like, but it doesn't mean that mental illness isn't also a factor, but you kind of, I, I felt pressure, yeah. like not to talk about it in like a rising context. Cause I know how that's coded, even though it's obviously mm. everything, every, all of the things are happening. All of the things are yeah. needing to be addressed. Yeah. Like I, I just, it just makes me more so upset about like people, like people on the left and it, like, to be honest too, it makes me feel, I don't know. Like if it was, if it was like a white celebrity that had like mental issues as well, I feel like it would have been like it would have been more in the conversation. To be real with you, All like, right. and I, I like think, I think yeah. Oh, oh, go sorry ahead. I'm sorry. Like Bill Cosby is not mentally ill, and mm-hmm. at least not, and he's not like a bipolar manic like exactly. You know Kanye mm-hmm. West. You know Epstein is not mentally ill. Mm-hmm. He, he's I mean except for I guess pedophilia I don't know but he's not like uncontro- out saying, of control. Yeah. He's not out of you know he can. <laughs> He's not having a manic breakdown in front of our faces, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. I do, I do think, I mean, that's part of why this is difficult. I feel like Kanye is like, this, this is not going to come on right, but I, I feel like it's like the Britney Spears scenario where I what you, you, you want like, 
you don't want her to be in that course of conservative ship. You know, you want her to be in control of your, her life, but you can't help feeling like I wish she had people who really had her best interests at heart yeah. that were close to her that yeah. maybe could advise her about maybe not putting some of the content out into the world that she's putting out and like i hope she's taking yeah, care you still of got empathy of the because you still got empathy for the person like you still understand and like you know like you're not just letting like what she's doing right now just color like everything you, you still got like take into consideration you know like like some like the issues and stuff that she's like that she's having like i don't like like same thing i don't fuck with like uh, Herschel walker's like politics but i don't mm -hmm. like it's not that it's not brought up that he got did like that What's that's that? like that's fucking that he has like DID like um multiple personality like disorder like dissociative Wait, personality really? Like, um, I, I, know, I had yeah, not heard like, that. Like he, he like it was brought up on like one of like the debates and like he said like oh yeah don't take you don't have to take medicine for it anymore and shit like that. Right? Oh, like boy. this was a like, I'm, I'm super surprised when you hear about it. Like this is a big like a big thing that's like when he like it knows about allegations that like that he could, like put like a gun on um somebody he was like dating. And later on, like say, like don't don't remember it. Like I can, I can believe, I can believe that if he like you know if he got like DID and was being like medicated like for like he's been very open, like uh being been very like open about it. And I hate that that's not like a part of the conversation about him. You know, like yeah, like I can I we can still like that. critique like his yeah we can still talk and like critique like his politics and stuff. But to not bring that up or to not even bring up like should this be a disqualifying factor for you know for him to um. For him to even like run as a senate, as a senator, you know, like it's like it's gr it's gross to me because like it feels like like so we just feel like we just putting putting these people like on on like display just to you know like just to um just like come at them like and everything without you know giving like the full spectrum and I don't and I honestly I don't feel like it's a coincidence that's like it's happening a lot like to black dudes you know like we're not getting a lot we're not getting a lot of it's not, it's not, not giving us like any type of grace. Like I remember before we brought up like the Dylan Roof shit, like how the people try, like the, the media try everything to call him everything in the world except racist. Even he was saying mm -hmm. he was racist, mm -hmm. you know, but like we can't give, can't give these, like these people, like say any type of, like any type of, um, like looking like any type of like uh humanity anything you know like to see what like um to talk about some of the shit that they're going through like i said i'm not i'm not like defending none of the words that they you know none of like none of like the viewpoints that they bringing out you know like i'm not you know so I'm, I'm not with this shit but like to, to just ignore ignore like these um these mental illnesses that they have is like it's gross to me yeah, I'll also say that after that Drink Champs interview, which is one of the earlier ones in all of this, mm -hmm. it hasn't escaped my notice that Kanye has not done any more black interviews, interviews with yeah. black people. And that may or may not be because black people are trying to save him from himself <laughs> and are, you know, deciding that it's not worth the clicks. You know, like they're, you know, every everyone know. would be advantaged by interviewing Kanye. Like it's good for ratings or whatever. But yeah, it seems like every know. like the Drink Champs guy. I feel like there was so much criticism of Drink Champs for having him on, in a way that mm. I didn't really see about Pierce Morgan or that Twitch streamer. Or I mean, I yeah. no one has high expectations of Alex Jones, but you know, like, but people were mad. Like, like black people were mad at the Drink Champs people. 
it's easy to like people feel like it's easy like to gain like to um you know like dogpile and beat up like on um, black people as a society. Well, you I know, think the part of like it was like, like why like are you put, okay? Part of it I think was like, why are you doing this? Like, mm. you know he's sick. Like, do, like we were like mad at them for like exploiting him, as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it feels like everyone's like backed off, except for you know the random Twitch streamers and YouTubers and Alex Joneses that are still having him on. Mm, it's, it's interesting. It's... I mean, I don't know. I could be reading too much into that, but like at this point, if Kanye, like, if Kanye were like Brianna, I want to talk to you. I mean, that's a real ethical conundrum. Yeah. Because you know, there's a part of me that's a Leo and obnoxious, and it's like I could save him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it would be different if I talked to Kanye. I could talk him out of it. Um, but apart from that, like narcissistic aspect of my own personality, like I, I you know, it's like. What is actually going to come of this? And am I exposing someone who's vulnerable when we should be like getting him into a, a, some some kind of situation that's going to not let him spread anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and also mm. just get the help that he clearly needs? Mm. Yeah, because I feel like like he's having more so like as a um, having like an outburst of like wanting like attention and shit. Like that's what yeah. that's what because like, he's been going like, like I do like he has he has like a critique um like um like you brought it up before like he has a, a like a capital a capitalist you, you know uh critique but I feel like he's getting more like uh, attention for going down like the anti-Semitic like uh rabbit hole yes, and, he, he is. and like he's not you know there's nobody there's nobody like they're trying like uh like to stop him because like in the Cause it's a weird, it's a weird relationship with Kanye with um with black, with black, black folks, especially well, I would say more so like mm-hmm. people, people in the people in the hood. Cause PMC is a different thing, but for mm-hmm. all people in the hood, it's a different, it's a it's a complicated, it's a complicated relationship. Cause you know Kanye came out saying you no, know, oh, I feel like slavery was a choice. Niggas was mm-hmm. upset, but then he come back, you know, come come strong with the uh, the Sunday service, like up oh, all's forgiven. We like mm-hmm. we. we we, we we fucking we fucking with this, you know. So it's and it's a weird thing of him going down. First off, before I say that, I never thought in my life I'll live to hear um, Hotep like a conversation about Hotep like in any sort of the mainstream. So like, so shout out, shout out, shout out uh, to you for you know, bringing that up. Like this is a black ass conversation. So but like, but so I also like it's that. Like um the big the strand of like you no know, like hotepness and like a uh, black Israelite-ness, you know that he's um tapping into like it's a real thing within it's a thing. within like and within it's the not community. just Kanye like people are like why it's talk not, about this it's not, it's not just Kanye a lot of people like that it's not you know no yeah it's it's a real it's a it's a real thing that comes from it comes from like it comes from like a uh, like a strand of of like self hate is like not not it's like understanding all like the negative connotations with being with being black uh-huh. you know and all the negative stigma uh-huh. you know with being black and wanting to escape it so once yes. I, if I have an identity like to to escape it and to yes. associate yourself like uh like um as a, as a different away from it like you know and, like the mental gymnastics that people would do you know like we to, were to kings and queens in Egypt I'm gonna wear a oh, lock yes. It's like, mm, yeah, like, babe, there was wild. a lot of great stuff happening on the west coast of Africa too. Chill, you're not from Egypt. Like, it's fine. Oh like, my god, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. like, it's good. It's chill. Open a book. Like, you know, it's 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 gonna be okay. 
but yeah, it's, yeah. Comes, I think you're right. It's like a kind of insecurity. This is what I was trying to get across to, to Mark, Mark. but it's hard, right? Cause I, I, I recognize that me saying that on some level feels, could feel to people, could feel to Jewish people. Like I'm trying to minimize that at the end of mm-hmm. the day, you're saying anti-Semitic things and it's wrong. Yeah. And it's, it's a difficult thing to try to, I guess it's a difficult thing to try to, I mean, I, I think it is possible to be drawn the same way when we had the, the former Nazi on. I think it's possible to be drawn and often, I think, common to be drawn into a hateful um, ideology because mm-hmm. of an absence you feel somewhere else in your life. I think that's actually yes. very common. Absolutely. And we understand when, like, the poor um, kid who feels like, you know, you know he's – poor and he's white and society is so mean to poor whites because you're white you're supposed to be doing better and feeling like you're mm-hmm. out of place and saying all that someone comes along and says hey guess what you're Aryan you're superior mm-hmm. you don't have to feel down come and hang out with us you you can understand psychologically what the appeal yes. is of that and that's yes. what the whole tepness feels like to me it's not that I'm trying to excuse mm-hmm. it I'm not, I don't think it's good that old dude went and became a Nazi obviously but mm-hmm. like there's a part of me and this is why Talia I guess was so mad at me too but there's a part of me that's like I want to understand the emotional oh yeah the uh, path here the, the the emotional draw of this so that we can address mm-hmm. it and stop it from happening if you can if you oh. can satisfy that emptiness that people feel and that desire for home and longing and self-esteem and something outside of all of the negative stereotypes that come with being a black person in America mm-hmm. and we, if we can satisfy that with something that is more constructive with that then you know nazism and hotepness oh God, and whatever else let's do that but sitting around pretending like it's like oh he just woke up one day and became a nazi and nazis are bad yeah. let's punch them moving on like i don't know there's a part of me that just that doesn't make sense to me mm-hmm. yeah like and i'm glad that mark that mark to um that he uh brought up the different sex of like the um of like the black israelites you know, a lot of the different, like, um, the different, like, belief systems and everything, because that's an important thing, and, like, the, um, and, uh, that gets, like, um, that's an important thing that gets, like, overlooked, uh, that, get, that gets overlooked a lot, but, like, what you were just saying, like, absolutely, like, we're not trying, like, understand shit, like, that's something I, I picked on, uh, up a lot, like, after 2016, when Trump, um, when Trump won, I went out and was just asking a lot of people, like, all right, like, Honestly, like what will make you I went online and like talked to people like in person like um that, that voted for Trump asking them what made him do so, you know, like just to try to figure out like what and a lot of a lot of people told me like they felt bad uh, under Obama they felt bad for being white. And like I didn't mm-hmm. understand that shit. You know, mm-hmm. but what happened like, like talking to them and understanding it, like just get like just getting a feel for like where they from. That's not me, you know, like um that's not me, like, uh, saying, like, yeah, yeah, like, cosigning, like, the idea, you know, that, like, Obama, like, did that you. to people. But it's just, to un- you know, to understand where they're coming from so the shit don't happen mm-hmm. again, but, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, we can, like you said, fill that void so it's, like, not not an issue anymore. Yeah, but, but like, people don't want to have, people don't want to have, like, this com- this type of conversation, you know, like, about, uh, about like, Kanye or, or um, I mean, I think mainly because, like, like I said, it's, it's a black-ass conversation. You know, you really have to be... You really got to be okay, like, you know, with black culture, you know, and like, really be in tune with, you know, with black culture to understand, like, what, like, what Hoteps is in the first place, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's part of why I wanted to talk to, to Mark, because I could tell from some of his tweets on the subject that he he could be both honest and critical 
of the substance mm. of what's being said, but also have a certain level of compassion and understanding about what's going yeah. on in the black community to That's deal with it with a certain amount of grace. And I, I've been mm. wanting to have this conversation for a long time, and it's been difficult to find a guest who was kind of willing to go there. Um, mm. And I, I also do think there's a lot of pressure to, understandably so, um, yeah. sort of performative, performatively do the Van Jones thing. And, and it's not, I'm not mm-hmm. saying, again, like, I understand the desire to want to make it very, very clear to people who I consider allies and whose personal ethnic struggles I relate to a great deal, that there is no room, there is no part of this that is validating the substance of what Kanye West is saying. So, like, I understand why people don't want to have the more nuanced conversation because the most important thing is to make Jewish people feel like there is, you know, you're completely rejecting what Kanye is saying. Like, I completely understand mm-hmm. that. At the same time, I can't ignore that there are black people who are feeling dismissed because of that approach. In the same way that those yeah, white people I, said, I Obama is making me feel it's like it's not okay to be white. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, I don't know, like, I, I feel like it's possible to take care of all of these feelings. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to figure out yeah. a way to take care of all of these feelings. I think they're all very legitimate. Yeah. I hate it's, that it's approach of like throwing us under yeah. the bus. Yeah, I, I hate that approach of like trying to like throw us like under the bus, you know, for like some shit like that. Like um that said, like apologizing like on like on behalf, you know, like like lump lumping us all like like in the group and like in the group like that, you know. Um I feel I feel like that's so that's so like that's so disrespectful and shit. You know, I, I can't I can't I can't stand, especially for motherfuckers that like voted for Joe Biden and everything. Like I can't well. I can't I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm with you. I'm never letting that shit go. <laughs> uh, I'm never. I bring that shit up all the time. I'm never letting that shit go. Like I'm like I'm not letting no you know no what, black you know person what? in the PMC tell me about like tell me uh, anything mm-hmm. about the Democrats when y'all let especially because especially from growing up like being like in like in the '90s uh, mm-hmm. and everything and we I feel like. And more so in modern times now, we've finally started getting over that hump where we're not all all the way just hounding on anybody that's um, not like a Democrat or, or mm-hmm. going on a black person that's, you know, that's that may be a conservative. We're finally starting, like, started to get over that hump. And mm-hmm. did, for, like, Biden to come up and say, oh, if you don't know if you're voting for me, you ain't black. And just having people going along with that shit. Nah. I'm not over it. Nah, was, not had, at all. I had, I had this dark thought the other day. You know, I was thinking about how sad it is that um, uh, Celine Dion um, has that shut-in, you know, disease where she's going to, you know, lose kind of her function until you can't move anything, but you have all your cognitive abilities. Mm-hmm. She announced it last week. It's, you know, obviously very tragic. And I had this, I had this um, intrusive thought as I was uh, walking around earlier this week that if I came down to it, and I was like just winking my last eyeball before the moment where I was going to lose all ability to communicate what my last words and sentences would be. And I was truly mm-hmm. like, fuck Joe Biden. <laughs> 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 I'd be like, wait, wait, Brianna, she's, she's saying something. She's saying one last thing. My little eye would be like, Joe Biden is a racist. <laughs> that, and I'm never, not, not letting them off either. 
for the fuck shit he said at the debates when they asked him, what would you do like to solve help like uh, combat racism? And his, his a racist ass went up there and say, black people don't know how to fucking raise their kids. I'm not letting that shit go either. Oh, they need to play the not gramophone more. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, they don't know you're supposed to read to your kids. They don't know you're supposed to. Like, like, well, nigga, what the fuck did I got to do with the question? <laughs> he just straight just said, straight just said on national television, black people don't know how to raise their kids. Like, we don't know how to. We don't know how to read to oh, He sucks Fuck so this, hard. Fuck him. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm never letting that shit go. Like I'll give, I'll give him his his ups. Like you know, I'll look at him fairly. I'll still give him his ups for actually, you know, getting out of like Afghanistan. You know, I actually uh, getting through like infrastructure. But I, I give him all, all like those ups. Like in the world, I feel like we do like need to give him those ups on that shit. But man, fuck him at the same time. He a racist. I ain't got yeah, no problem saying he, that. He can be a racist. Fuck him that 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 from Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, because both things exactly. can be true. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> all right, Jim. This has been delightful. <laughs> Thank you for calling in. This is a real treat. Always keep the faith. Keep the faith. I saw another woman. Okay, Sierra. Oh, you were kind of near the front. I probably should have gone farther back on the line, but I'm trying for a little bit of gender diversity. How are you doing, Sierra? Oh, I see Hannah back there. Sorry. Oh, and Maria, my bad. Can you unmute yourself, Sierra? Are you with us? Hello? Okay, let me try then. What did I just say? I just said a bunch of names. Who did I just say? Um, oh, Sierra? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, great. I'm glad you made it. What's on your mind? Um, so I, I think um, I'm like really glad that uh, Jam brought up um Kanye's um his like his mental his mental state because I think he's totally right that uh people are really glossing over um like people have been talking about him having a bipolar disorder um sorry I just took my dog out <laughs> Um, and I think that, uh, like, okay, for example, um, after Hurricane Katrina happened, Mm -hmm. um, Kanye West was like, do you remember when Kanye West was, uh, standing next to Mike Myers? George Bush doesn't care about black people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, uh. Like Kanye has, it seems to me that Kanye has this, um, like desire to not, not that everything that he says is true, but, um, like he wants to speak his mind, but he's not being received or validated. And, um, like, we can probably all agree that uh, George Bush doesn't care about black people mm-hmm. and his response to Hurricane Katrina uh, was awful. Um, mm-hmm. And 
that was a moment of Kanye, and like the way Kanye was received when he said that was like everybody thought he was like out of his mind. I guess. Yeah, I mean, some. So he also got some validation and support, but it was a. Even if you agreed with him, there was something kind of wild about it. The, the audacity right. of it was shocking. Right. Yeah. Him. The the way he. Yeah, said it in that in that setting. It was like shocking to people. Um, but I guess like for, to like Jam's point about about um, like not empathizing with him. Um, it, sorry, I'm trying to figure out how to uh, put it. No, take your time. <laughs> Um, so to me, like Kanye West has reminded me a lot of, uh, Daryl Brooks. Did you watch that trial at all? No. The the Waukesha. Um, so, okay. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like the entire trial, he's like lashing out at the judge. Um, it just just like pretty like narcissistic um not making any sense um and like when i was i was watching some of those clips because the law and crime network publishes clips from the trial Mm -hmm. and um it just and that i think that was the same time that kanye was kind of having these outbursts and i just like i always saw like this parallel between them and um like i think kanye has that like type of narcissism because he is like he's trying to express himself and then he gets kind of invalidated and um and so i think down he's got this grandiosity but it's all very defensive. It's no, I'm the greatest. Right. And you told me I wasn't the greatest, but look what I've been able to do despite you. And, and it, and it's this weird cyclical thing because it feels like almost his approach makes people not want to validate him because it's so right. egocentric and it goes round and round and round. And you kind of just wish that there was someone that he trusted. I mean, maybe it was his mom, someone that he could mm-hmm. get the validation from, who but didn't feel competitive or off with him or off put by his kind of narcissism mm-hmm. and whose opinion he valued enough to satisfy that constant desire for validation. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, like even his, even his song uh, can't tell me nothing. Mm-hmm. He's like, wait till I get my money. Mm-hmm. then you won't be able to tell me anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, my, I guess my, what I'm thinking is like, I see Kanye as kind of like a product of uh, this like capitalist environment where unless you're able to prove your worth, sometimes you're not really, uh, you're kind of treated as worthless. Mm. And so if you're like 
running away from that, then it's like you're trying to prove that you're not worthless, I guess. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel that. I mean, it, it is something, there's something fundamentally when he describes, when he is trying to affirm his value, it is all on, on these, on these axes that are very material. Mm-hmm. There, you could imagine a different world where Connie is like, I have the best family. Like I'm the best dad. I have the best, you know, um, I don't know. And he clearly does care about that sort of thing. He was very invested in having a family. He was very proud of Kim and her aesthetic and that he had her um, and that she was rich and he would brag about those kinds of things. But most, uh, all of the things that he is proud of, except for, I guess, his musical talent are so external. Uh-huh. And then when, when he, he does emphasize, you know, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. It, it does almost hurt me when I see people reluctant to acknowledge his talent as an artist. I think mm-hmm. that's the one thing that should be kind of unimpeachable. And you, you I don't know. I, you do. I, I don't know. He gets a lot of validation. Obviously he has a million Grammys or whatever. He's like a top selling artist. Like you would think that it would be enough, but I also, I mean, it's the rap world. Everyone's talking about who's better. Who's the best. Who's the top ranked. Who's your top five. And it's just it, that combined with whatever insecurity that he has, it's just not a good space for him to be. in. he needs to figure out how to have internal validation. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, the, 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 the tragic thing about him is that his psychology seems so kind of obvious. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not. Maybe we're all parable, terrible shrinks and shouldn't be analyzing him this way. But on a very human level, I'm not even talking about mental illness per se. We know what insecurity looks like. Right. You know, we know what it looks like when someone's thirsting for validation. And that's part of why I keep coming back to this Pierce Morgan interview. It was so stunning to watch. And it's hard to grasp without watching like the whole two hours of it. But it, uh-huh. it it was a weird thing to see someone using something as horrible as anti-Semitism to try to keep a conversation going because he had a sense, an accurate sense, I think, that the second he let the anti-Semitism go, the conversation would stop. And there was something mm-hmm. just so tragic about that, like watching a like a like watching a rat in a trap, um, like will fully willing to lose the leg for the piece of cheese when it's just like, Kanye, it's not worth it stop right you know and these are not people who care about you pierce morgan does not care about the exploitative nature of the industry that you're in pierce morgan only wants to talk to you as long as we're talking about your anti-semitic remarks and and so you you knew and some of you know that and that's why you won't apologize when you know you should and I, i i'm i'm telling you there was this moment where pierce was on him for like an hour and a half and finally kanye says yeah, I mean, I, I shouldn't have said that. And immediately, immediately he wraps the interview. Pierce Morgan wraps the interview. And Kanye is sitting there looking shell-shocked. Like, oh, I thought we were going to talk about the music industry. Yeah. And it's like, it's not that we should all be, like, working around his craziness or anything. Like, at the end of the day, he shouldn't be saying the things that he's saying. There's no excuse for it. Mm. But it was this moment where I feel like... <sighs> This is this is the my narcissism thinking I I could have saved him. If it were me, if I were in Piers Morgan's shoes, I would have said, I appreciate I am so glad you said that because now that you have apologized for anti Semitism, 
you've made space for us to have a very important conversation about the exploitation you experienced in the music industry. Let's have that conversation now. And we can stay here talking about that as long as you want. You can come back and we can talk about that as long as you want. Right. And I wonder yeah. I wonder what would have happened next. Not that I'm gonna cure his bipolar or whatever. <laughs> but the right line of questioning, but like it I don't know. I don't know. It sucked. Yeah. Um I don't know if it was the same if it was the same interview, but I watched a, a video of him and and Piers Morgan, Kanye and Piers Morgan, and uh Kanye at one point he's like do I have more money than you? And Piers is like, yes, you do have more money than I do. And he, he's like, oh, well, then you should listen to, to what I have to say. I, I, I have more money than you, you know, like that was mm-hmm. the point that he was probably more knowledgeable just because he's more societally successful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, that's, that is, that is deeply messed up. Uh huh. I want someone, did no one like just hold Kanye as a kid and tell him you is kind, you is good. <laughs> Sorry. Like Viola Davis, like, it's just like you have inherent value. I right. love you for being Kanye. And I think the, I think the, the, thing is is that a lot of people and i think this is why i think was it was so cool that jam i brought up um mental illness is that i think a lot of people have that where they don't get that early validation when they're children Mm. and um like attachment theory uh if you don't get validation or if you're not held the right way or then you could end up having a mental illness um like uh narcissism or um and i'm i'm actually i don't even personally know if kanye has bipolar disorder i know he's been diagnosed with it um but i think i th- i think when people label people as having like bipolar disorder it's kind of like a you're basically labeling that person for life um i thought that that was i thought that was something that was kind of out there Mm-hmm. That was admitted to, and I don't know, like an actual diagnosis, but I could be wrong. Well, I just think it might be a way of of giving somebody a permanent problem, like of never being able to, you know, like for Kanye to find the validation uh, to like heal, to emotionally heal, and and overcome that diagnosis because I'm I think uh when people are labeled with having bipolar disorder it's kind of like 
constantly people are telling you you're mentally ill, you're mentally ill, nothing you say has any legitimacy, and that mm-hmm. further entrench it. This is just my mm-hmm. galaxy brain armchair psychologist. Um, but that it further entrenches him into his doubling down because he's not he's not being given credit for like the accurate things he does say Mm -hmm. (laughs) like george bush doesn't care about black Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. or beyonce's album was better than taylor swift's this has been this has been great sierra i appreciate you calling in okay thanks for taking my call Thank you so much. Keep the faith. Thanks. Jonathan, what is on your mind tonight? Uh, well, firstly, I, I love that uh, Christian Picciolini uh, keeps coming up because that was uh, my uh, my first guest recommendation to you right after the Talia Lavin thing. And, you were right uh, on the money, Jonathan. Yeah, I remember because I like it was it was actually thanks to Marianne. Uh, she uh, had had him on a few months mm-hmm. prior to that, but that wound up being like just the right guy at the right time because I also mm-hmm. agree with you on that that particular uh, curiosity and angle of attack. But uh, I also wanted to put one thing uh, out there real quick before I get to the main topic, which is about the episode, which I loved, but uh, about the. Uh, the post I made last night with a Matt Taibbi clip, which incidentally the yes. replies include some of the same kind of gaslighting we were just <laughs> discussing with other Jonathan. But uh, the uh, uh, Alice from Queens account has a, a, a super annoying habit of sometimes, uh, you know, being like contemptuously dismissive of my instincts, which have proven correct over and over again. <laughs> and it's kind of a weird flex for somebody who's been gaslit for like, a year and a half over this issue, but okay. But I want to put out there in front of like the 500 people is prediction that the, uh, the Jack follow will prove to be significant because I don't think it's a coincidence that Rose McGowan experienced the same thing, a Jack Mm -hmm. follow before her account was not only her account followers were not only frozen, but actually ticked backward till they were below a million and then frozen at like 997,000. And I don't think it's an accident. Now, I don't know what the significance is. For all I know, maybe he was interceding on your behalf to make sure they didn't go too far, but uh, or monitoring the situation somehow. Yeah, but I, I don't know. If you're basically if you're shadow banning someone, maybe you want to make sure you're still seeing them. You know what I mean? So to see how it's going, yeah. to see if it's working. I don't know. And, and, and yeah, high profile accounts. But yeah, I, I think that's going to prove to be significant, and that's my prediction. And I I want that out there. I'm I'm doubling down on it. But yeah, the episode. Yeah. Uh, I like this guy was really the right guest to start that conversation, and I think that conversation really is important and educational and informative. I came away feeling like I had a deeper understanding, and like this guy, frankly, uh, as a Jew, I could not have asked for a better uh, representative to explain um, that perspective on. Uh, you know, the anti-Semitism of some of those, um, uh, you know, Hebrew Israelite 
assumptions mm-hmm. about Ashkenazi Jews. Mm-hmm. And like my understanding of anti-Semitism is like strongly, uh, it's very nuanced, strongly historically rooted. Um, for me, like there's not much that gets my hackles up about anti-Semitism by itself. Uh, like usually it has to be in conjunction with other factors that led to things. So for instance, like if Louis Farrakhan like gate crashed a party I was hosting, I wouldn't kick him out. Like I thought the termites comment was kind of funny. But uh, you, well, he, he referred to Jews as termites. But it was I thought it was funny. Like, it, look, it's not nice. I, I'm not pretending I wouldn't give him crap if he was there. But, uh, you know, this is not something I consider threatening to me. Um, but the like the black Hebrew Israelite thing, uh, which and by the way, you were right to also discuss uh, those identity issues that led them there. I think that's important. Like, even as a guy who is obviously not black, like, I think I can see the problematic nature of a group of people whose ancestors were forcibly converted to a religion, uh, you know, where they are uh, paying homage to uh, a whole lot of people that um, look more like their oppressors than like them. And, you know, these kinds of things, like if they, again, like if they wanted to be like, oh, we're Jews too, I'm like, hey, you know what? I love having more friends. Let a thousand flowers bloom. Mm -hmm. But the issue was like when they adopted and, you know, a a type of, you know, a number of assumptions and including uh, a theology even uh, that uh, was explicitly created in like the 60s and 70s by white supremacist groups to basically invalidate uh, the biblical connections, I guess, with uh, with the Jews, with Ashkenazi Jews in particular. Um, you know, again, it's it's not just about identity. It's about what what that does in people's mind, because it's not just that you're saying. I'm also Jewish or I'm the real Jews. It's that you said these people are imposters who engaged in this nefarious bad act in order to oppress us. And I mean, what kinds of things do we talk about here on the left all the time is groups of people who are doing bad things to structurally oppress us. And, you know, this is the enemy. And what do we want to do with the enemy? We want to thwart them at every turn. We want to struggle against them. Uh, And, you know, occasionally, sometimes that, you know, escalates into violent acts. Um, Like right after the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, uh, there was an attack on a kosher grocery store in New Jersey. Mm. And uh, I remember how fast that faded from the news when they realized it wasn't a Trumpy who did it. It was a black Hebrew Israelite Mm. or uh, a couple of them. And, you know, frankly, they were talking to other people in that community, and those people were very happy with the act. And, Mm. um, you know, so that kind of thing is, like, there's very few things that rise to the level where where they'll get my hackles up as something that's dangerous to me. Mm -hmm. But that particular assumption that they carry um, and that they do sometimes act on, um, is something that I, I find somewhat alarming in ways that, you know, casual anti-Semitism, I don't. I shrug my shoulders at. I yeah. let it slide off like water off a duck's back. Doesn't bother me. But yeah, I think that, that, is that in point. particular. We got into this a little bit in the episode yeah. about 
at what point, you know, is there a legitimate critique of people saying that words are violence when they're, not, when, you know, when they're being hyperbolic? And at what point is the different reaction because there's actual words that are leading to actual violence and that requires a different level of pushback? And is there slip or slippery slope there where it's not really clear where one turns into the other? And so that's why there's a legitimate desire to police um, certain kind of comments, even if in the in the like neural context of a you know a Kanye tweet, the distance between that and an actual violent act might seem wide. You know, what what point does it seem narrower? You know, at what point does well, you know? Okay, Hebrew Israelites doing their thing is actually leading to Hebrew Hebrew Israelites physically attacking Jewish people, and I, I do think I do think that that and people's different assessments of what the actual risk level are is informing how upset they are about various kinds of comments, for better or for worse. And you yeah, see this well, in the tra- context of the trans conversation a lot. There is a perception that that is a particularly vulnerable group, so that the words are violence has more traction like there it's not just an abstraction it's no there's a big there's a more of a feeling that the words can actually lead to real violence yeah and well and also like i you know setting kanye aside because you know as jam pointed out like you cannot separate the mental illness issue from his comments like frankly i had a much more visceral reaction to his i think slavery is a choice comment i'm like whoa this guy is clearly uh, like lost his stuff. Like I thought he was canceled right then, but uh, evidently, uh, you know, a, a billion dollars buys you a cancellation credit line. But uh, you know, the, like the guy I really kind of felt bad for in this was Kyrie Irving because uh, you know, like Mark said, like this guy clearly didn't uh, understand the problematic parts and the reaction was like really swift, really harsh and not, you know, it didn't really consider who the source was because it's not about the words at the end of the day. It's about the framing. It's about the attitudes about it. It's about the psychology. Um, You know, words alone, it's not enough. It has to be the framing and how it's used. And this guy was obviously just curious about, his, you know, like Mark said, his past, his identity, where he comes from, where he's going, what he believes, you know, the eschatology, uh, all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, frankly, uh, we were talking about, you know, Jews being able to speak for the whole community. But frankly, a lot of people responded who, in my opinion, had no business speaking for the Jewish community or being an authority like the anti-defamation league people and they had this like ridiculous list of uh you know a gauntlet that they were going to put him through before he could be officially sanctioned and forgiven for whatever offense he was supposed to have been committed instead of you know maybe sitting down and having a, a public conversation with somebody like Mark Lamont Hill or, you know, uh, you know, Mark Lamont Hill and a Jewish counterpart, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's people out there that can, you know, explain about Jewish history and, and things like that. Mark does a fine job. Um, but yeah, you know, this record, kind of thing, like he was supposed to come yeah, on, ahead, there was, um, a, the journalist I referenced who's a religion reporter for the Washington post was supposed to come on. And couldn't make it and then i was trying to get norm and he couldn't make it so the idea of this episode was to have a jewish guest and a black guest together 
but it just felt. Oh, he did good enough for both. Like I, like I said, I, I will put my my Jewish stamp of approval <laughs> on the job he did there. Like he's highly knowledgeable. He has a very nuanced understanding of not just the positions of these various, uh, you know, groups of of black Israelites. And you know, frankly, like you got into a little bit like the Falasha uh, group, which is a you know somebody like it's a group of people that's always fascinated me because I spent a couple of years as a student. Uh, in Israel and met a lot of these people and like it's like they do have a fascinating story and like regardless of you know what you think of of their origins like they've had these practices in that area for millennia and like how did it get there it has to have gotten there somehow it didn't appear by magic and like they like these are like these are interesting topics to get into and like frankly um, you know, the attitude, I think you guys were right. Like this conversation needs to be had. These conversations need to be had and people need to be able to, um, focus on these kinds of distinctions you were making without, you know, getting butthurt by it and actually think about these things because it's important and it's, you come away from having those conversations feeling like you understand the world better than you did going in. And, that has value. And, you know, I, I just, I enjoyed the hell out of it. So thanks for doing it. Thank you, Jonathan. That means a lot. You know, I value your opinion a great deal. I know you've been here the whole time and understand the trajectory and, you know, I, I'm always looking for the Jonathan seal of approval a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> so thank well, you, you got for calling it. in. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Keep the faith. All right. Now I know I shouldn't call on Sylvester. Because I always call him Sylvester, but I am very curious to know what he has to say about this episode in particular. Oh, did I just next him? Um, so even though I'm already over three hours, I'm calling on Sylvester. I would like to say there were other people who looked like new faces, like Decolonize. Looks unfamiliar. Beyond looks unfamiliar. B looks unfamiliar. Britain looks unfamiliar. You guys are really trying to cat bait me. I see what you're doing. For the record, I prefer dogs, but I will click on a cat in a heartbeat. Anyway, I'm I am gonna I'm just trying to memorize your faces, so I prioritize you when I see you next time around. Southern, Michael, I haven't called on Tosin in a while. Okay, I'm just really internalizing this list. But unmute yourself, Sylvester, and bring us home. Sylvester, all this build up. Now you have me lying to the people, just completely misrepresenting how the show is going to close. The people thought they were going to get some sly, and now they're just getting silence. Oh, my God, I'm going to get hit with a false advertising suit. You know, they're litigious out here right now. By the way, the meltdown, the Elon Musk meltdown is incredible right now. There's a Congress member that says he's going to, if the people aren't unblocked, if these journalists aren't unblocked by tomorrow morning, he's going to walk down to Congress and demand a bill to reinstate these accounts. Elon Musk is out here lying his ass off about, oh, I, I blocked them because they posted my exact real-time location, basically assassination coordinates, an obvious direct violation of Twitter terms and service. Boy, if you don't just sit down, no one 
posted assassination coordinates? What are you talking about, you lunatic? Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. All right. Um, Sylvester, we don't know what's happening with you, but we're going to have to move on. And now I've committed to doing one more guest. So now I have to do it. Um, let's go with beyond broke. Oh, I should have gone back to Antonio. My bad. Sorry, Antonio. I'm going to call on you next time. I apologize. Beyond what's on your mind. Are you going to bring us home? Was it something I said? Like, no one wants to talk to me anymore? Hello? Oh, there you go. Hey, Beyond. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, first time caller. Um, so, I, I don't, this kind of relates, I think, somewhat to what's what's been talked about. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but, and I'm not going to try not to sound preachy, but it may happen. Forgive me. Mm-hmm. Um there like you you guys are you and uh this new generation of media as it were um conservative mm. whatever conservative liberal doesn't matter just this whole new generation um that's coming up i feel like there's a, there's a mistake happening still of a lack of humility and a desire to own one's opponent. Mm. Um, and I expect that from, you know, Republicans and Democrats and the old, the old school. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do have concerns as much as I can anyway, (laughs) um, about, some it it becoming more about the person and less about the idea that's being presented and i get it because it's a business and people like to know who they're talking to and all of this stuff but and maybe it's with that it's just great it's it's a lot of power you know (laughs) and um and i think when we encourage people to own each other in general and it's us versus them, we're just, we're, we, then we're no different than anybody else in that respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you um, give us specific examples so we have a better sense of, I mean, what is it? Cause I, I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you, but are you, do you feel like this episode or another episode was too focused on, personalities do you feel like it's just a broader cultural thing is there I, mm-hmm. not specifically to this episode i mean yeah like i guess this is probably also going to sound preachy but it's like that quote great minds discuss ideas average discuss events small minds discuss people or some paraphrase of it and mm-hmm. I think it it's interesting. It can be interesting. Does it lead us? Um, what is it getting us? You know, universal health care. 
<laughs> like to me, that's really what 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 unites us are, are, are the policies. But then, you know, it it just there's like a lot of ha, gotcha. You know, even in, even within even within the quote unquote progressive movement, and I, I should say I'm very new to it. I've I've been in every party. I have yet to really join the progressive movement because I see just as people get more and more attention. You know, it, it's just there's a pattern. It seems like that leads to Kanye sometimes. <laughs> so you feel like it is a distraction. To talk about Kanye, it, it doesn't seem relevant to you at all. Um, the ideas, I would say, ideas I wouldn't say irrelevant because he's irrelevant to other people. It it's just it, like, and I think you, I think you normally gravitate toward this anyway. The general idea of mental health society and what policies we can use to address it, right? If that, if Kanye leads to that great am i being too presumptuous yeah well i guess i think that we are all people and while i understand the intent behind that saying the reality is that we are interested in people because we are human beings as a part of a community and the unit of the individual is the unit which we, by which we relate to each other. And I think it's one thing to say we're talking about small ideas. And sometimes I think when we say oh, a small-minded to talk about people, what we're really saying is there's small ideas about people and there's big ideas about people. You could talk about, oh, Johnny likes Cheryl and I can't believe uh, Timothy didn't say hi to me at the water cooler. Sure, I can understand being frustrated with that level of conversation. Although I think there's a time and a place to have fun and talk about TV and dumb, dumb stuff. I think that's fine. People need to relax. Every moment of our lives can't be spent obsessing over uh, Medicare for all. You know, we wouldn't be living. Um, but I also think that we talked about some pretty expansive ideas tonight that are very relevant to the left. Please, uh, please don't take this as a criticism of tonight's episode or you in general, actually. The reason no, I'm, I'm speaking not, I'm to you kidding. is because to me, mm -hmm. of you, everybody I've seen, I mean, I could name names, but I don't know if that would be appropriate, but I don't mean to give you a big head, but you strike me as the most earnest and humble that you're not really out to own anybody or put anybody down, you know, even if it's like, and, and. I just, I don't, I want more of that. And I just, I see some people and maybe it's just me, but they just seem like they're, and I, and I know you want examples, but it, I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm not trying to start beef or anything. I'm just trying to understand. Like, look, I know that there is, there's obviously a certain culture on YouTube, you know, clickbait exists because of the way the YouTube economy works. People who don't want to do clickbait titles and subjects end up doing it because otherwise no one looks at their channel. We all participate in it. If we were clicking on the boring video about, you know, you know, Mark's chapter one, if we clicked on that, then people would do that. But people click on Candace Owens says um, Kim Kardashian is a whore. And so, like, you know, we all do it. 
I clicked on that video and right. listened to why she thinks that Kim may, Kardashian is a whore. <laughs> you know? And that's and that may be just that may just be a, a necessary part of it. Um mm-hmm. maybe. I don't know. It's certainly the way that it's done. Yeah. So I, I, I like I both agree to some extent and I recognize the frustration and share the frustration at the same time as like I guess I feel I feel a little like um you know how I felt with uh the the first Jonathan to call in um with the fractals. Uh <laughs> which is to say, you know, like I think what we you, all... it's almost I'm like sorry? you want to say what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm not trying to be dismissive. No. But, can can I know? say one thing? You didn't ask that question. Sure. But if you did ask that question, I would honestly just say, just keep doing what you're doing, and and be wary that of what perhaps traps you might fall into. You know, yeah, I mean, I think, that's a, I think that's a fair warning. It's a fair warning. I was actually thinking about this today with respect to rising. There have been some decisions made going back and forth about what the business model they should have over there is. And they were going to try to pivot away from YouTube and they've been pivoting back. All this stuff is happening. And so there's, a, once again, a focus on views and trying to get views back up and improving the relationship with YouTube and all this stuff. And that means like they're, you know, they're open conversations had all the time. Well, you know, Muff segments do well. Trump segments don't do so well anymore. You know, I'm, I'm right. picking radar topics, realizing oh, I haven't had a, a decently, you know, had a, had a radar that had any kind of traction in a while. Let me see if I can figure out something to say about the Twitter files. Like that is definitely a decision-making process. Right, because what does Nader say? You have all the best ideas in the world. If nobody sees them, then what? What's the use of it? But it also kind of can feel gross. In, in my ideal world, what I have done maybe a radar about the uh, pipeline oil spill, which we have not talked about at rising on rising at all. You know, like yeah, but I know zero people are going to click on that. So I, it feels dirty, feels gross, and I justify it to myself. Like today's radar was about Sam Bankman Fried, which has been doing well. But I slipped in in the end a thing about like the point here should be that we need to encourage our politicians on both sides of the aisle to be putting forward legislation to try to fix this money and politics problem. If everyone's mad at Sam Bingman Freed, we should be channeling this into something that addresses the dark money issue that's at the root of it. And that makes me feel like I've served some vegetables with the cake. And it makes me feel like, okay, what I'm doing here is still worthwhile and I haven't completely sold out. But you know right. it's difficult. It's a it's a something that I wrestle with on a daily basis. Well, hey, at least you wrestle with it. Some people don't. Yeah, I mean it's hard. I mean the producers, everyone's in a different position. Their job is to get clicks, and I understand that their incentives are different. And you know, it's we're all living in capitalism, and this is their jobs, and it's job security. I mean, it, for the, you know, it's 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 it, a whole thing. You know, like rising, rising for all its flaws, is probably what. You know, up until then, I'd only ever seen Fox or MSNBC. I didn't even know there was a, a media sphere on YouTube. I'm a Gen Xer, mm-hmm. you know. And then, like, I was like, oh, what's this? 
and that just opened up to everyone, like mm. Kyle, and Jimmy, and all mm. the, you know, everybody. Like, and then I started going crazy. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess if I if I were to beg and plead with you to, um, I don't know, talk to some some of your cohorts if you know any. <laughs> Uh, just about the the I think it's I think when it you don't again you don't do it and that's why I'm talking to you about it because I I seen you do it anyway like where it's like I got you you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, yeah anyway. I mean it's true like even when they, there are these contentious episodes like I I I I wasn't like I wasn't trying to fight with Joe Serencioni you know. Like I, right. I brought him on because we had had a great conversation and I thought, you know, we could have another great conversation, even if we obviously disagreed about the CPC letter. Like I wasn't trying to, I'm never trying to fight with Ryan Grimm. I, it distresses me greatly to fight with Ryan Grimm because I find him to be such a valuable resource as a journalist. I hate fighting with Ryan Grimm, but <laughs> <laughs> we keep disagreeing on some substantive stuff that I can't ignore. Um, and so the posture for me is not, I want to own Ryan Grimm. I want to embarrass Ryan Grimm. It's like, I'm desperate for Ryan Grimm to understand where I'm coming from. And for us right. to, uh, you know, I mean, to be honest, I want him to change his mind. I, right. I want to persuade Ryan Grimm. It seems productive. You know what I mean? It it's the goal is to, is to find, it seems, you know, not, I won this debate. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, okay. Look, I appreciate you calling in and I'll give it some thought. Maybe we can get a little medium round table going on and, and talk about the approach and what's sustainable and how to okay. deal with these algorithm issues. Like I think God every day and I should you know, thank all of you every day that my, my basic primary source of income is not related to the internet and it's the Patreon and it's bad faith. Yeah. Um, and that is why I can be kind of flippant and indifferent, you know, like take or come or take the hill, say what I want to say, not be worried about being fired, not feel like I have to jump at every financial opportunity that presents itself. Cause well, you have support around you. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, I'm, I'm so, I'm so grateful for the Patreon model because I see some of the YouTubers hustling and look, I, I'd like to do better on YouTube. I'd like to have, I'd like to hit a hundred thousand subscribers just for like, bragging rights and to have bigger bigger reach and have people looking at this content which i think is valuable but i'm so grateful that i'm not as dependent on if a video does big numbers or not as other people in the biz because it's stressful and i see it in the conversations that are happening at the hill and i'm like oof, it's very stressful so i do have a degree of empathy for the market that people are caught up in and it's, it's legitimately difficult um but I I think the best strategy is to kind of just try to do the put the broccoli with the mac and cheese, you yeah. know, and try to spoon feed the sugar down and mix all the metaphors. And I obviously need to go to bed. So I appreciate you calling in. One, beyond. one last can I ask one quick question. Is there going to be a Robbie and you debate? Yes or no? We debate every day. A debate no, about what? I mean, like a debate debate. About what? I don't know. You want me to pick topics? We got into it a little bit today during one of the segments. You should you should watch you should watch today's 
I forget which segment it was the last one we recorded, but it's not actually end of show. Um, um, I'll check it out. What were we talking about? But I think I, it was whatever devolved into the thing about Haitians, I think was maybe the one that we were fighting about. Because <laughs> sometimes you guys but, get cut off soon and you each have so much more to say and I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is a bummer to get cut off. Um <laughs> You know, we, he's been on Bad Faith. I'm happy to have him back anytime. We were joking about doing a um, White Lotus episode, but maybe we should do a substantive episode. But um, I'm sure he'd be know, down. I so, I'm sorry? Okay, thank you so much for taking the time. Okay, thank you, Beyond. Thank all of you for listening. This has been a really stimulating conversation. You guys are great. Giving me a lot to think about. I'm so glad this episode. I, I, I will confess I've been kind of nervous about this one. How it was going to go. How it was going to be perceived. Um, whether or not I could articulate some of these ideas that I've been having about the subject and why it's been troubling me. And I, I feel really good about it. Especially since Jonathan K. liked it. You guys are the best. Keep the faith. My own man, but as a shorty, I looked up to the dope man. Only a dope man, I knew that wasn't broke, man. Flick and start a coach, man. Man, you don't know, man. We don't care what people say. This is for my niggas outside, all winning. Cause this summer they ain't finna stay next summer, I'm finna. Sitting in the hood like community colleges. This dope money here is little trace scholarship. Cause ain't no tuition for having no ambition. And ain't no loans for sitting your ass at home. So we forced to sell crack rap and get a job. You gotta do something, man. Your ass is wrong. Drug dealing just to get by. Stack your money till it gets sky high. Nine to five to still hustle Cause a nigga can't shine All 655 And everybody selling makeup Jacob Sam Boulay tapes Just to get they cake up We put shit on layaway Then come back We claim other people Kids on our income tax We take that money Cop work Then push packs To get paid And we don't care What people say Mama say she wanna move south Scratching lottery tickets Eyes on a new house Around the same time Joe ran up in do house and get a job So since he couldn't get work He figured he'd take work The drug game bulimic It's hard to get weight So niggas money is homo It's hard to get straight But we gon' keep baking Till the day we get cake And we don't care what people say My niggas Drug dealing just to get by yeah. Stack your money till it gets Gonna act the fool when you stop the programs for after school. And they DCFS, some of them dyslexic. They favorite 50 cents on 12 questions. We scream, watch blows, we part. See, now we smart. We ain't retards the way teachers start. Hold up, hold fast. We make more cash. Now tell my mama I belong in that slow class. Saturday
enough, we on welfare. You trying to put me on a school bus with the space for the wheelchair. I'm trying to get the car with the chromey wheels here. You trying to cut our lights out like we don't live here. Look who was handed us. Fathers abandoned us. When we get them hammers, gonna call the ambulance. Sometimes I feel no one in this world understands us. But we